listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Hello, everybody. Another episode of the GGTMC back on the air. Number episode number forty six, I believe. Yes, forty six. Quickity click barber trick. Yeah, we're just tearing through them nowadays. <laughs> All right, so we are back. Uh, this week we're going to be covering uh, two very interesting films, to say the least. We're going to be covering, uh, let's see, Fist of the North Star, by, uh, directed by one Tony Randall. I don't remember what year that came out. Nineteen ninety five. If the IMDb is correct. Oh yeah, you, that probably is correct, judging by the hairstyles. Yes, or nineteen eighty-five. <laughs> yes, either way, <laughs> uh, that was a bad decade. Between eighty-five and ninety-five was not a good year for male hair. <laughs> it certainly was not, or male garb. <laughs> yes, yes, this is true as well. And also, Crime Busters, which again I neglected to write down, but I think that's nineteen seventy-nine. Uh, close, 76. 76, Okay, well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe I was thinking of another nineteen seventy-nine Crime Busters. I don't know. <laughs> Well, the one with um, Bud Hill and Terrence Spencer was probably around that time. Bud Hill and Terrence Spencer? <laughs> Terrence Hill and Bud, well, maybe them too. Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer. That was awesome, man. I was like, who the hell's Terrence Spencer? Why does he know more about movies than I do? <laughs> All right, so that's what we're covering this week, along with lots of listener feedback and whatnot. So uh, we'll just kind of go over what we've been up to over the last week. You uh, got anything? Uh, yes, I saw a film that certainly was, if not my most anticipated, one of my most anticipated, that was Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. I don't want to spend too much time on it because we are probably going to do a bonus episode, but it, uh, lived up to and exceeded my expectations. Uh, once again, I had a few worries going in because of casting in a few directions Tarantino decided to go. They were quickly, uh, washed away within the first absolutely magnetic 10 to 15 minutes of the film and from there on I just was so in love with it I literally was going to go back in and see it right after I walked out of the theater Um, but my son was fussy with his aunt so I had to come home and straighten the lad out (laughs) straighten the lad out the fussiness yes Uh, beyond that um, I finally got around to watching Quarantine the remake of Wreck of course uh, my wife chose it, so I certainly wasn't going to deny that. It was either that or maybe some sort of Patrick Dempsey rom-com, so <laughs> that was an easy choice. Uh, and I liked it. I mean, it's it's very much a Xerox of wreck, but uh, it was good. I mean, you know, Jay Hernandez is fine, and and uh, I like Jennifer Carpenter because I'm a big fan of Dexter. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything besides going through the TIFF lists and trying to get all that in order for our... Our TIFF extravaganza. Yeah, as much fun as that might sound like to some of you guys, try going through that list and picking out 10 films. Try doing that, okay? <laughs> yeah, try going through 350 films and whittling it down to 10. It's fucking brutal. Yeah, it is. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, my instincts are, oh, I want to see that. Ooh, I want to see, oh, uh, see that. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, you know, it's kind of hard to, uh, and there's some, like some films I want to see just out of morbid, cur- not morbid curiosity, just curiosity. Like Joe Dante's got a new film there. And even though it's a 
supposed to be more family centric. Uh, still, it's Joe Dante. You know, I want to I want to see it, but it's not going to be how my priority list because of other stuff. So it's 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 there's difficult choices to be made. To and say that one's a, that one's actually going to be the first TIFF film ever screened in 3D, Sammy. Yeah, nice. So yeah. good old Joe, one of my favorites. All right, so. What I've been up to this week, what I've watched, man, I, I've been doing a lot of schoolwork over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've had a lot of papers to write, projects to do, working on one right now. So I've spent a lot of time with the old laptop and the television on. And uh, so I've watched, uh, first let me say, I watched uh, Inglorious Bastards as well. And I won't say a whole lot about it either because we probably will do a bonus episode on it. But I will say that I quite enjoyed it. It uh, lived up to my expectations. As a matter of fact, it even defied them in some cases, including Brad Pitt's performance. That's all I'll say. I, I was worried about that, but that came through just fine. Um, I also watched uh, Pontypool, which is a Canadian independent film that uh, really kind of was a breath of fresh air. So uh, that was really nice, and uh, I know you're going to be checking that out soon. And there might be, maybe, there might be another bonus episode in the works for that film as well. We, we've been talking about it with a good friend of the show, Miles, so... Maybe, or I've been talking about with good friends with Showmiles. Just say, but uh, Will has not seen Pontypool yet, as of yet, I believe. Correct, but he will. It's funny that two Americans have seen a Canadian film before a Canadian, but hey, that's the way it goes. <laughs> I drove through Pontypool <laughs> recently. I told you so. It's very interesting that there's actually a place called Pontypool. I mean, it's just—it's such an odd mix of words. It's—I think it's British. Yeah, Pontypool. <laughs> oh, it certainly sounds British, buddy. I mean, it, yeah. I imagine they got some good nicknames for it in in the town there. Yeah, I imagine they would. If that, <laughs> and you go to New Brunswick, and there's some really wild names like na- uh, Native uh, Indian names like uh, Richie Bucto and, and <laughs> nice. Pokemoosh, which sounds a bit too much like Pokemon. Pokemoosh. <laughs> yeah, I know it's wild, man. <laughs> and uh, I also checked out um, other than our two films we watched. I mean, I watched a shitload this week. Actually, when I look at it on a list, I watched uh, Inglorious Bastards, Pontypool. I checked out the Blu-ray. Uh, I checked out two Blu-rays this week. Uh, I checked out the Blu-ray of Circle of Iron or The Silent Flute. That is the David Carradine, Bruce Lee-inspired martial arts film, which is fucking out there, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> With Carradine playing like four different roles, including a monkey. Oh, wow. And a panther. <laughs> Wicked. <laughs> but it's it's fun. Uh, I watched, and the Blu-ray is really good at that. Really good transfer. I watched um, the Final Countdown, which is the Kirk Douglas, Martin Sheen, uh, Farentino, uh, James Farentino, who was in Violent Midnight, uh, played the biker guy. Uh, I watched that film. That's about the. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen it. The U.S. air carrier that accidentally goes through a storm and ends up in 1941, right before Pearl Harbor was about to take place. Sorry, which film was that? The I final, just... the final countdown. Uh no, I've never seen that actually. It's okay. I mean, it, it looks like it's made for. It, it seems it feels like it's made for television, but it's actually not. I mean, uh, Lloyd Kaufman's in it of all fucking people. He was a set uh, set uh, guy and uh, producer on the film, and he's in it. He has uh, quite a few scenes with Kirk Douglas. It's fucking weird to see Lloyd Kaufman and Kirk Douglas working together. That would be bizarre. A very much younger Lloyd Kaufman, by the way. Dark hair, dark beard, uh, but very interesting. Had a lot of fun with that. I mean. It's a Blu-ray, and I, ch- I check out everything on Blu-ray, and it looked really good, soft in spots. But, uh, yeah, the film feels like it's made for television. And lastly, something I started last night, I watched the first 30 minutes of The Happening. And uh, the first 30 minutes are solid. Yeah, they are. So I'm waiting to see what the next hour, hour and ten minutes has to hold for me. 
Uh, I'm aware of its reputation, but uh, again, I am a junkie, and regardless of how many times somebody tells me something might be awful, <laughs> I don't care. I'm still going to watch it. I mean, I'm going to check out Halloween 2, for Christ's sake, and I have no aspirations for that, actually. I actually will never see Halloween 2, uh, personally, but <laughs> the happening is interesting, and visually it's very compelling, especially in those first 30 minutes. There's that, that scene with the construction workers specifically. Uh, just fantastic. Um and like I said, the film visually is great. It just really goes off the rails a little bit with some sort of psychological mumbo-jumbo and stuff. And it's okay. I don't think it's as bad as everyone makes it out to be. People love to jump on Shyamalan. Uh, he really knows how to open a movie. Yeah, he does. I know Bill and them did a list this past week of the first 15 minutes of a movie and uh, you know, their top six first 15, I think is what they called it. And uh, they didn't put any Shyamalan on the Shyamalan or whatever on there. And uh, that's kind of a shame because I think he really opens movies among modern directors – He's one of the better film openers. Uh, even Lady in the Water, which is not a great film, I thought he opened it really well. I mean, he opens films well. I mean, it, maybe not the yeah. first 15, maybe the first 30, but he always opens them really well. It's just sometimes the payoff kind of fades a little. He is a very talented director. I wish he could get on the right path because I think that um, Signs is amazing. I really, really like that film. Yeah, that was probably his last really, really good one. Uh, I like Signs as well. I like uh, Unbreakable a lot. I like, uh, of course, Six Sense a lot. And I have some fondness for bits and pieces of Lady in Water. Lady in Water, and uh, but that's about it. <laughs> Paul Giamatti being one of the bits. <laughs> yeah, Giamatti always brings it. I do think that it's a crying shame about um, the period piece when he did with Hurt uh, and and Howard's daughter, Bryce Dallas, what was it called? Um, oh, yeah. Talk about one that the first half is really strong. Oh, it's amazing. And then I knew where he was going with that. You motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. You had to do this to us, didn't yeah. you? And yeah, it he, was great. He fucked people on that one. I, I enjoy it for what it is, but, uh, yeah, it's it's not my favorite. I mean, obviously, but really, really strong. I mean, I remember when that trailer came out. I was so excited. Oh, yeah. I would just see it with a bunch of people. And yeah. Not good. I always get excited when I see uh, Sigourney Weaver Sigourney Weaver, and William Hurt. I keep hoping there's a nude sex scene between two of the hottest actors in the history of cinema there. <laughs> <laughs> no. They have that. But, yeah, I've watched quite a bit uh, this past week, man. I'd, and I've also been watching uh, – I haven't been watching HBO's True Blood like you, but I have been watching HBO's Hung with Thomas Jane. and uh, Yes, of course. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's about a big dick, so I have to watch it. <laughs> uh no but uh, i have been watching that and it's actually a very very touching and uh weirdly darkly comedic show that uh it's only half an hour and it's it's really well done really well done probably some of thomas jane's best work easily as far as acting he, goes so he's really back and forth i like thomas jane but he's pretty kooky sometimes but no me and my wife have been meaning to check that out once we got caught up on dexter which we have um and true blood which we are so i think the next one up will be hung for us I think you'll like it. I think you guys will like it. It's uh, it's actually a good show to watch with uh, a wife or uh, well, maybe not, depending on <laughs> depending on your situation. Blow the belt. <laughs> oh, I'll be fine watching it, my friend. <laughs> nice. <laughs> they don't call him Large William for nothing. Indeed. <laughs> uh, but that's about it. I think. Uh, yeah. So hopefully we're going to get a couple of bonus episodes out. Maybe at least one. We know for sure. Uh, another one. I don't know yet. We'll see. But uh, you know, it's kind of hard to. Make time for those bonus episodes first, so we got to do that first, and then we'll figure out the rest. <laughs> ah, I had to take a drink. All right. So I think that is it. I think we will uh, take a break and then get into some uh, reviews here. Sound good? 
Sounds fantastic. Awesome. All right, we'll be back right after this. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Choose from Chainsaw Dismemberment, Nightmare 8, da da da. Satisfy your sickest fantasy. It's a trick. Get an ice. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Every has an There's no more room in hell. The dead will walk here. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? Destroy the Marines and Lewis's only horror and cult movie podcast since 2007. Visit us at DestroyTheBrainOnline.com. You better hurry on back to Tennessee, Jed. That's right. That's a good old Levon Helm there. I actually closed the show out with the band last week, and uh, Levon, who was the drummer for the band, uh, he put a solo album out recently called Electric Dirt. That's pretty good. I'm a big fan of the band, uh, being partially Canadian. Uh, yes. I think they're, they're wonderful. And Levon is pretty great, and he's singing there, and you know he's uh, recovering from th- he recovered from throat cancer, so that's pretty impressive. Oh, fuck yeah. And uh, Levon is actually one of my favorite like little character actors too. He pops up in movies every now and then. Recently popped up in uh, as the blind man in uh, Three Barrels of uh, Melchiatus Estrada or whatever the film was called. Yeah, he's he's done a few interesting films. Uh, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but no, you're right. Levon is fun. All right, so our first review is Crime Busters from 1976. I'll let you go over all the details. You should have fun uh, synopsizing this thing because uh, it doesn't exist on IMDb. So maybe you need to get in there and write one. Yes, I think I might have to. So, uh, Crime Busters, a.k.a. Poliziotti Violenti, from 1976, directed by Michele Massimo Tarantini. Uh, This is a film not to be confused with the Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer (laughs) uh, buddy cop comedy film made a few years after. Mm -hmm. Um, Michele Tarantini, he's probably mostly known for was a massacre at Dinosaur Valley, as well as the uh, Ed Vich Fennec films, uh, the Policewoman films that uh, he did. Uh, yes. I thought he'd done some more than that. I know he did a Luke Miranda, uh, your own crime <clears throat> film in there as well. But um, Massacre at Dinosaur Valley is also known as Cannibal Ferox 2, which I don't ever understand because it's not nearly as graphic as Cannibal Ferox, but whatever. 
It's like zombie two through nine. Yes. You know. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, yes. So, uh, essentially, this film is about it's a it's a sort of buddy not buddy cop. It's it's a buddy movie in a sense where you have a police officer who is who's frustrated with uh, the, the rampant crime in, in uh, his town or his city, um, pairing up with a military officer who's investigating some corruption within the military that's tied to some crime in the city. Uh, yes. They get together and mayhem ensues. So I picked this film. What are your thoughts? All right. So I checked this out the other night. Uh, first of all, I want to say Silva and Sabato, that, is, that equals sweaty beef. That's what that equals, buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they do a lot of running. So, uh, you know, it's pretty great. The thing about Antonio Sabato that always is so disturbing to me is because I've grown up in the the hunk hunkness of uh, the hunk like shadow of Antonio Sabato Jr., who many a girl I dated growing up thought was just you know the the bee's knees as we say down here. Uh, it's weird to see him because man, do they look alike in the face? <laughs> yeah, they do. I mean, that's father and son. You cannot argue that one. He would lose that paternity suit, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if on on Maury, he wouldn't be doing the little dance uh, yes. <laughs> during the paternity uh, test. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so we get Silva and we get the Sabato. This is actually the first time we've done Sabato, but I'm sure it will not be the last. He uh, did Definitely quite a few. Not. I'm yeah, a he big was. fan of his. I think he gets unfairly criticized <laughs> by people as being a sparkless wonder, but... Um, he was great in calling all police cars. He was great in Milano Rovente. Um, I really like him. Well, I so think I, that I think that he also gets roped into that Italian actor phase, like Testy does sometimes about the good looking. You know, and Merle gets uh, they, they a lot of those guys sometimes get roped into that uh, kind of. Uh, and I'm not saying you know one's better than the other because that's, that's up in the air. But you know, I mean, they used matinee idols just like uh, just like we did in America, except they did it in the 70s as opposed to the 40s, like we did. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, you got these good-looking, beefy men, and and uh, these lead roles. Very interesting to me. Uh, but yeah, we get those. We know Silva's. Uh, we know he's been on the show many a times, <laughs> yes. and uh, I'm sure he will continue to be on the show many a time. Uh, and uh, so I was very happy to get Sabato in. Hopefully, we'll get some more of his films in. Uh, this is actually the first one for the show, like I say, and and uh, he is definitely uh, one of the gentlemen's guys. Uh, he's going to be in the pantheon. Trust me on this one, guys. <laughs> All right, so the transfer from uh, Cinema Day Bazaar, the film where, where we got the disc from, uh, it's a little soft. The the, uh, the uh, it's a little blown out audio wise, but the the only thing that's really bad about it is it's kind of like Cry of a Prostitute in a way, in that the the darks, the dark scenes are really dark. So there's if you do get it from there, you're gonna have some moments where you know you can't really see what's going on. They keep the dialogue going and stuff, but it's really murky. I think you know what I'm talking about. There's a scene on the dock with Sabato and somebody, and you can't even see anything. Yes, although it is a widescreen print and it's more than serviceable in, a, in for most of the film. But yeah, there are a few spots where the darks are a little dark. That's what it reminded me. It reminded me of Cry of Prostitute. Remember, Cry of Prostitute was serviceable until it got to that scene at the beach where you couldn't see what was going on really. Yeah, that was about the only thing. But it's just the the darks are just so dark and stuff. Um, I like that uh, the scene in the train with Henry Silva and the girl, and Silva says he's a pipe smoker, and he keeps bringing up the smoke in his pipe. Uh, is he trying to drop hints to her that he like her to smoke his pipe? <laughs> Naturally, <laughs> I, I love that Henry Silva went to Italy and became a stud in Ital- Italian cinema. And I say this every time we cover one of his films, but you guys got to remember Henry Silva has the face of a heavy. 
probably maybe more than any actor outside of Charles Bronson I can think of. And yet he goes to Italy and he's this stud muffin. And uh, obviously in the military over there with his beret and whatnot, you, obviously that military, it's that awesome branch of the military that exists where you can have a beard, mustache, and a, a fucking afro if you want one. Under, <laughs> all underneath your um, your beret. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he keeps talking about smoking this pipe, man. I kept laughing because he, he calls her up again out of the blue and like, yeah, hey, I smoke my pipe. Uh, he kept like, quit, quit bringing <laughs> he goes, up the pipe. The pipes, tell her the pipe smoker called. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you want to say to a female. No, I don't know if it <laughs> like, is either. Like, by the way, I'm a pipe smoker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, yeah, I had some interesting pipe moments this week with Inglorious Bastards and with this. <laughs> oh, that that is a, an inspired visual moment with uh, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that when we get to that. We, we, we gotta... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I didn't really. The thing is, here, there, this is an Italian polizia slash action movie. So. There is obviously going to be fiats and uh, many a car chase. Uh, the first car chase uh, with the – or one of the first car chases with the kid that got kidnapped because this is a Rome. This is an Italy that is over overridden with crime. Crime is happening every five seconds, and it always happens wherever the pipe smoker is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's just trying to enjoy his pipe, and people are just kicking the shit out of people. <laughs> So, but the first car chase is—it's in my opinion, it's bad, and the reason why I think it's bad is because of that overdub kid uh, yes, during the car chase. Now, I know I'm supposed to be sentimental to the fact that they have a child kidnapped, and he's screaming and he's scaring stuff, but I wanted to smack that kid, <laughs> and it's the way they overdubbed him in the in the film. He's like, "Oh no, stop driving!" Oh, and I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm going to kill somebody." <laughs> yeah, I know. So that was a bad choice. The car chase itself was okay, but that kid overdub is what hurt it, I think. And I think you – I mean, you know what I'm talking about, I'm pretty sure. I certainly do. In, in some ways in this film, though, Henry Silva isn't quite as smooth as we've seen him in his other films that we've watched on this show. Like Alligator, he was Mr. Smooth uh, until he ran into the Alligator, obviously. Naturally. Uh, in uh, Cry of a Prostitute, he's you know, smooth. Hey, this one he's known as Altieri. In uh, Cry of a Prostitute, he's Antione, right? Oni, uh, Anianti. Anianti, that's right. That's right. <laughs> nice. Uh, but he's not quite as smooth in this one. This one, he's a little bit of a bumbler. You know, he's a little bit of a... He's a guy that wants a woman in his life, but he doesn't really know how to do it because he's too busy sucking on his pipe. Well, I think, you know, <laughs> that, but beyond the pipe sucking, I think they try to convey that because he's so much a military man, I think other areas of his life have kind of suffered a little bit in terms of his progression yes yes um, because he's very much about the military you can tell he loves it he's passionate about it and there hasn't been much room for growth uh, emotionally or otherwise yeah and he, and he gets into civilian life and civilian life just kind of offends him because it's just violent it's just there's nothing but violence in this in this uh in this film's version of rome and and you know what to be fair we've probably mentioned this when we've done these films before but the 70s in italy was a fucking bad place to be man like you know, you see all these robberies and kidnappings and stuff. I mean, Italy was bad in the seventies. There was a red yeah. brigade. Red brigade. Oh, wow, I can't talk. Red <laughs> brigade. Yes, uh, who were a terrorist organization. I mean, fucking kidnappings, car bombings. It was a. It was a bad spot to be in. So, the only, I mean, yes, the only people who did well in Rome in the seventies were the people who sold mustache combs. Yes, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> because you could have made a booming business in the, uh, Italy in the seventies. <laughs> Mustache oh, yeah. combs and tight shirts. 
<laughs> yeah, with, with massive collars. Yes. <laughs> There's a scene where uh, Silva's kind of getting his ass handed to him. And, uh, you know, just, I'm not used to that because I'm used to him. Every time we've covered him, he's pretty much been a badass. Uh, this time he is a badass, but he's kind of getting his ass handed to him. So I like that. I like that bit. But I, there's a bad choice of uh, putting the screaming on a loop of a bunch of people standing around seeing this beating and uh, there's a screaming. But there's nobody around. I didn't see anybody around to even justify the screaming. I didn't. And you know what? I know the part you're speaking of. Uh, and I'll talk about the score a lot more on my end. But the score was done by Guido and Maurizio D'Angelis, who I'm a big, big fan of. And I want to say that I don't think this was a clunky thing where it didn't sync up. I think it was an intentional thing to more... Con- I, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but to me, I think it was more just to convey sort of the horror and the atrocity of it. Right. Um, and, it and at this point in the 70s, let's face it, uh, recreational drug use was at an all-time high. Yes. So yes. I think that they just sort of put it into evoke a certain mood or feeling as opposed for it to be accurate and in sync with a crowd of people observing this. Right. I hope. Because <laughs> if not, it went way off the rails. <laughs> the uh, There's a moment where um, Antonio Sabato mentions that uh, his captain or somebody will shit little green apples. Did you hear him say that? I did hear him say that. <laughs> that was awesome. It was awesome. I didn't expect to hear that. <laughs> I've never heard that. But now when I get angry or when I get upset, I'm not going to say shit a brick anymore. I'm going to say, you know, that's going to make me shit little green apples. Yes. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I love the scenes of him and uh, Silva driving around Rome and uh, oh, yeah. them overdubbing their dialogue and stuff. I love that. I just love the idea of Antonio Sabato and Henry Silva riding around Rome. <laughs> no, I do too. <laughs> and, we, and, and we're saying that we get a lot of car chases, but I think the car chases – Unfortunately, I think the car chases in this film are some of the weaker ones. I think the motorcycle chase in this film, which you'll hear me talk about more later, is pretty breathtaking and pretty amazing. Yes. The, the car chases in this one seem kind of stock and kind of simple. There's a couple of great moments in them. Uh, I think there, at one point, I think I saw a dummy or a mannequin. I'm maybe I'm overlooking that. I don't know. I think I saw well, one, though. <laughs> I think you're wrong because after Il Boss, no mannequins wanted to work in a film with <laughs> yes. uh, <laughs> with Silva again because they knew it was coming. Hey, they formed a union. <laughs> they did. Um, uh, no, I, I I would agree with you though. I think that the car chases are okay, and I think that's one of my complaints with the film um, is that I think it's well shot in spots. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Um, but I think some of the action not so much. Some of the car chases not so much. And let's face it, to shoot action well, you need that punctuation, that pizzazz. People like Johnny Toe or Enzo Castellari or John Woo, yeah. these people that know how to shoot action mm-hmm. uh, really can bring to the film. Or even Fernando DeLeo, as he did with uh, the shootout uh, in the, the building, uh, right, uh, right. parking thing. You know, when you have someone that can shoot action, it really is a, is a great punctuation point. And uh, Tarantini, you know, his film, this film in particular, doesn't seem to have that punctuation as much, with the exception of the motorbike chase, which you talked about. Yes, the uh, the car chases in this always feel like they feel secondary to the film in a weird way. Excuse me, and they uh, they just I don't know. They, they, for some strange reason, this is the first one of these films I've seen of the policia type genre where the car chases kind of took me out uh, a little bit. And I don't know why that is. I think maybe I might have spent the handling of them and stuff. Now, the narrative to this film is pretty convoluted. And if you don't pay attention, as Will and I talked about off the air, if you don't pay attention, you'll get lost in this in this film. I, I don't have any doubt. You will get lost. Uh, not that you'll get lost of who's good, who's bad, who's indifferent, blah, blah, blah. 
But there's a couple of little plot points, which, of course, we're not going to go over on here, that if you don't pay attention, you will get, I'm telling you, you will get lost. So this is probably one of the more convoluted, more dense Polizia films I've ever seen. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes. There's very subtle things that you may not, you have to pay attention to. And it's not going to ruin your enjoyment or a twist and turn. It's just little, little things that if you, you don't pay attention to, you're going to kind of scratch your head and go, wait a second, what, what's going on? Yes, yes. And you really got to pay attention because there's some payoffs and things with it. But, yeah, I mean, the last 20 minutes of the film, though, are strong. I mean, I have to say that. The last 20 minutes or so are really, really strong. You got a motorcycle chase. You get some other stuff. You get some nice dialogue, some nice payoffs. Uh, so the back end of the film is really, really good. Uh, I just think that it, it's a deeper film and and with a different director. I think Tarantini is, is kind of uh, it's kind of weird how close his name is to Tarantino, isn't it? I just noticed that. Yeah. Uh, it's like the Quentin Tarantino Martini. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll have a Tarantini down here. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> uh, he's he's a he's a workmanlike director. He's passable. Uh, he's not he's not uh, he's not a genius, but he kind of reminds me of Ferdinando Baldi a little bit. And that uh, you know he's overlooked, obviously, but he's very much a uh, an overlooked kind of weirdly overlooked director. Uh, the the, uh, the I would like to see Disco Crazy though. Disco Crazy did catch my eye. That's another one of his films. I think he's just one of those guys that, that his strength lied in those sex comedy kind of rompy uh, policewoman films that Edwidge Fennick did for him. Yes, uh, a policewoman on the porno squad. <laughs> yes, which is a fantastic name. Yes. I also would like to see this barbarian master, this sword and sandal thing. Oh, yes. That looks fucking amazing. <laughs> and not an actor in it I notice at all. <laughs> so that sounds like a winner to me. Yes, it does. Is he uh, is he still working or is he is he passed? I think he's still working. I know he was doing some TV work in Italy uh, hey, right. as of 2009. Actually, yeah. Il Cacciatore di Omani. Uh, nice. Uh, but before that, he hadn't done anything since 2001. So uh, looks like he did Savage Attraction in 1990. I think that might be an a uh, an action movie. Uh, well, it's action of a different kind because oh. uh, Rocco Sofredi's in it. And oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's action of a different kind. <laughs> if anybody's familiar with Rocco Sofredi, like me and Large William are, evidently, yes, <laughs> we find out more about each other every day, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> nice. Okay, so that's uh, my, that's my notes. I'll kick it over to you for some notes, and uh, we'll get going some more. All right. Uh, the thing uh, I had mentioned about Guido and Maurizio D'Angelis, who I think a lot of people talk about Goblin and this and that when they talk about Italian scores, but not a lot of people, not enough people, talk about Guido and Maurizio. Who I've mentioned before, I might like more than Goblin. I think maybe Goblin reached heights uh, with Argento and with a few other people. Well, I think I think Goblin is more abstract than, and I think the D'Angelo's brothers are much more kind of funky, kind of uh, more well-rounded. I, I, that's what I think too. Because uh, then one one of the Angelos brothers went on to direct, didn't he? No, I think that was uh, that's a different D'Angelo's to model things even further. I nice. don't think it's one of the brothers. Although it might have been. I, I know the one you're Fabrizio D'Angelis you're thinking of. Yes, yes. Yeah, he's the third uh, he's, he's, D'Angelis brother. He's the third D'Angelis brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just think that these guys, when you look at their whole body of work, they contributed a lot to a lot of different genres. And I just enjoy their stuff. And the reason I enjoy it is is evident in the opening of this film when we get a slice of funk as good as 90% of black exploitation scores. Very much so. Very much. I almost recorded it for the show, but it was uh, there was too much sound in the background. It was just great. I mean, you get sort of this uh, from the ground up shot of uh, of tough tit Sabato 
with the gun holster on, the the, the sort of uh, five o'clock sh- five well, o'clock shot on his chest. <laughs> let's let's discuss. Yes, <laughs> let's discuss not only that, but let's discuss that he puts a jacket on with no shirt. <laughs> Well, of course. Because it's Sabato. It's Italy. That's right. It's the 70s. He knows he's going to take that jacket off, and then women are going to swoon and pass out on the streets of Rome. Yeah, he's in the, yeah exactly. <laughs> He'll replace that gun with the gun in the trousers. That chest hair easily uh, could do battle with Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Easily. Yeah, absolutely it could. Um, now, the thing with Sabato in this that, that was weird for me was it's weird to see him sans stash because – he rocks a good stash. Speaking of the yeah. birth, um, yeah. If you did, if you look up images of him, you will see uh, quite a bit. Yeah, usually he has a stash, and usually his hair doesn't look so, like such a blow dried poof. It's more sort of uh, pompadour kind of uh, you know look. But I don't know. Maybe it was the time. But it, it, it looked he looked a little different than usual for me, which kind of was I don't know, just a little quirky little thing. Um, but we get the scene when. Uh, Eventually, what happens is Silva's character is sort of put, as we said, in the general public uh, to work to work for the army in a more uh, administrative role. Mm-hmm. And, and in actually a moment of, of good acting from Silva, we kind of get to see we get to see the look on his face when he sees his office, and he's disgusted at he's because you know he's very much a hands-on military man. He's very much disgusted at the prospect of being in an office, and even more so at the state that the office is in. Yes. And it was just a great little facial expression from him. And I think, you know, that's the thing. We can kind of joke around about Silva, but from time to time, he could put in a good performance. And, uh, you know, that's just the thing about Silva, you know, as much as we can kind of joke about him. And we do love him, but he's not always known for being a thespian. But he has moments. And this this little look on his face, uh, I really liked. It was a small thing, but a good thing. Yeah, no, he uh, his kind of a uh, kind of broken, kind of defeated man in this is pretty great. I mean, it's uh, you know he takes a beating at one point. That's not a plot point. That's not giving away a lot, I don't think. And then you know he's got a cane, which makes him look kind of pathetic. And he really takes oh, he yeah. really he really takes a beating both physically and uh, about his job and everything. I mean, he really really gets down in the dumps here until he meets up with Sabato and they kind of become like Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah, Batman and Superman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I think you really nailed it when you said in the hands of a better director, and that's not to discredit this film because I do really like this film, but in the hands of a better director, this film is, is a little more serious-minded um, in the way they they sort of uh, show you the characters and some of the other stuff. is a little bit more a little more depth to it than some of the sort of Maurizio Merli sort of slapping people around and Spectre Tansy stuff that, that you get in the, the genre sometimes. But, right, uh, right. Yeah, and you know, Tarantini has, you know, he has some good credits to his name. I mean, we got to remember he was the, the second unit director on uh, Torso. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that too. And uh, he also worked on Suspected Death of a Minor, which is one I've been wanting, trying to get a hold of to see. And uh, he also worked on one that I've never seen that I'm dying to see, which is uh, Why Are Those Strange Drops of Blood? On Jennifer doing on Jennifer. What are those strange drops of blood uh, doing on Jennifer's body? I think you have seen that. Have I seen that? Yes. Uh, give me a moment because I think it's under a different title. Well, I see the case of the bloody iris and erotic blue, but I don't, I don't think I've seen those two. You don't see. You haven't seen case of the blue. Oh, I have it. I should. Uh, we should watch it when you come down because I like it. It's um, it's a good giallo for sure. Nice. I think I actually <laughs> bought it from Mister uh, Mister uh, Mr. Thirteen. Nice. Nice. If I remember correctly. Yeah, I mean he's he's a he's a, he's he's kind of like Baldy. You know, we've talked about Fernando Baldy, and that you know the, the, these workman directors they kind of didn't get noticed. Uh, and Castellari's kind of in this mix too, because really he didn't really start to get noticed until the last decade or so. For years, he was just kind of a workman like director, just put out action movies, right? 
Uh, pretty much, yeah, and it's a shame. Like I said, he's my favorite. So, so I mean, you know, these guys kind of came with. They don't. They're not remembered like, uh, or like Diodato or like. Uh, well, gee, from the notoriety, that's more the thing. Their notoriety. Yes, not even. Them. They're not even. Most of these guys aren't even as recognized as Lindsay, and Lindsay's not even that. You know, that fantastic. So. But I will say that Lindsay's. It's a shame people remember Lindsay for his horror efforts because his policia and his sort of Eurocrime efforts far exceed. His yes. horror well, the problem is they don't release his Polizia stuff. They release his fucking horror stuff. And that's too bad because, like I was talking about Milano Rovente, which is a.k.a. Gang War in Milan with Antonio Sabato. It's one of my favorites in the genre. Yeah. And it was uh, actually the first one my son watched. He was about <laughs> nice. a month old. And I threw it on one night. I was having problems sleeping. So, And in, in less than two years, he will have a mustache. <laughs> Oh, buddy, he already's getting that. He's going to have a, a Selleck. I always tease my wife. Yeah, don't say that. He's going <laughs> to... He's going to be watching all these macho Italian films who grow up and be like, hey, cacciatore. He's going to be macho. He's, he's going to be called Randy Savage in, in junior high. Hopefully he won't end up in movies like Savage Attraction. Or maybe or maybe hopefully. I don't know. No, no, hopefully not. I don't wish that on my son. I don't know. Rocco's done well for himself. Rocco has done well for himself, but there's a little too much uh, sort of rope, yogurt roping and, and other things I don't want my son involved with. Because <laughs> he is my baby boy. Duttiness. <laughs> oh shit! I can't quit laughing. <laughs> and that is dutty of the highest order. Yes. So, um, Ooh, <laughs> but getting away from yogurt roping and other stuff. Um, <laughs> shit. Uh, we get the scene with the train and the pipe smoking and everything. And I got to say, the girl, this girl plays uh, Mr. Silva's love interest in the film. At first, I didn't think she was all that hot, but it's weird. As the film went on, there was moments I thought she was breathtaking in her eyes and, and everything else. I thought she became a lot more beautiful as the film went on. There's something almost uh, kind of uh, about her that strikes me as like like she's like a almost like a teenage woman breaking into her adulthood. <laughs> yeah, you're right. She's just... It's like on the cusp of being like, yeah. you know, like, let's just say, let's just go ahead and say it since we've already went through the Rocco Sofredis and everything else. She's like barely legal. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. When I first saw her, I was like, eh, you know, eh, well, you know, it's not that. But as the movie went on, uh, and of course we get a, uh, we get a rape scene because we're the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema and we can't live without it evidently. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go through and look at every film you picked and every film I picked and see who's picked more rape movies. <laughs> I hope you have. <laughs> but uh, I think we're neck and neck, pretty much. Or uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're probably not far off. And you know, the, the, it's it's interesting. But yeah, I felt I start to fell for I fell for her character in some ways. I don't think she's used properly in the film. Unfortunately, I think she's a teacher or something. Is she a teacher? Is uh, I think yeah, I think something to that effect, and you're right. I think they kind of uh, bungle her up a little bit as they go along. She's uh, she's a she's a, yeah a she's a plot device. Let's be honest. Yes, yes At, she is. After the and we're not giving anything away. There's a there's a rape involved, and after that, the film takes a turn. And so let's be honest. She's basically a plot device. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, there's a great line that I think almost takes on a meta kind of feeling to it when Silva <laughs> says. This goddamn city is full of violence, and I always seem to be caught in the middle of it. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> it's just it uh, is pretty meta when you think about the Polizia genre, and you think about Silva's films he made in Italy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we talked about moments or visual flourishes in this film, and there is a great shot of the Silva beatdown through the legs of uh, 
of the chocolate eater. And when you see this, you'll know what we mean. But there, there's this great shot right through the legs. They're almost in like this V. Uh, and you can see through it him getting worked over, and it's a really great shot. Can I ask you? Do you do you think the chocolate eater looked a little bit like Che Guevara? <laughs> a little bit. He looked almost like Planet of the Apes. Uh, kind of. I don't know. He he wasn't a very attractive man. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. Savato, he was not. No. Mm. Um, but so, even you know, Silva, he was not. <laughs> no, he was not. He just had this yeah long kind of beard hair and spar- spotty in spots, but. The weird thing about him is he had this... I love character signature moves. Like, with this guy, you could hear the crinkling and unwrapping of chocolate, and he always ate it, but there wasn't really a much of a payoff with that. And it's like, if you're going to do something that that is just uh, as minor as this and make it a signature, have a big payoff for it. Yeah, I'll agree with you. Not only is there not much of a payoff, it's almost non-existent and, mm-hmm. and kind of anticlimactic, unlike uh, Rocco Sofredi's films. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Those always have a payoff. Yes, they do. Uh, certainly a happy ending for Rocco, at the very least. Um, oh, <laughs> there's a great kind of random line where Sabato and Silver in a car, and they're, or I can't remember if they're in the car yet or what they're doing, but they're kind of bickering back and forth, and uh, <laughs> Silva says to Sabato, why don't you just hire Dyer Donald Duck then? Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> They're actually, it's actually, uh, I think, weren't they in the uh, in the hospital? Wasn't it after the oh, beatdown? Yes. yes, yes, they're in the hospital. That's right. That is a fucking hilarious scene. Yeah, the way the way they're kind of, it's kind of like they're flirting with each other. Uh, not you know, not in a sexual way, not in a, not in the gentleman's guide to midnight's in a homoerotic way, but they're like you know they're getting to know each other, so they're kind of like like bros, kind of like that camaraderie joking between men. Yeah, that's sort of you know taking the pit, just kind of you know yeah. really kind of grinding on each other. Not grinding, that sounds worse than it is. <laughs> We're getting back yeah. to Rocco again. Yeah, exactly. But, but no, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, I love that scene. He's like, "Why don't you get? Why don't you hire Donald Duck then?" It looks at him like, "Duh!" And then, you know, it's like uh, Sabato's like, "What the fuck did that guy just say?" <laughs> yeah, I know. And then once you know, criticizing the army, the other was criticizing the police, and yeah. just an interesting kind of encounter and meeting between the two. Because in fact, that was the first scene where they met. Yeah, I think it takes too long for him to meet. Yeah, it does. That's another weakness of the film. I mean, I couldn't wait for him to get together, and then once they get together, it really picks up steam. Yeah, uh, that's you're right. It, it does really pick up steam. Them, uh, as I'll always say, when we do Italian films uh, set in the cities or the countryside, I love the architecture that Europe uh, brings to films. I think it just adds something that that just cannot be replaced. Uh, yes, know, just beautiful to look at. You see the Colosseum as they're driving around. <laughs> yes, they try to work, they work that in there to let you know they're in Rome. Yeah, exactly. As if the Fiats yeah. and the mustaches didn't give it away. <laughs> yeah, and the green police. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I will say this: you talk, we talk about the sights of the city. I do want to say that if you and I ever go to Italy, we must visit the Luau Bar and Restaurant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know about that clientele in there, man. <laughs> Jeez, it's a, it's a tranny. It's so random. It's a tranny bar where uh, Sabato goes to get information. Like one of his CIs is uh, is a tranny, and they they roll in the bar, and she's like, "Hi, lover." Oh. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, Silva's just repulsed by the whole thing. The Silva snake is not responding to this. Uh, he's smiling, but he's not responding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he wanted to get out of there. <laughs> oh yeah, he certainly did. Um, it, again, there's just sort of a commentary, I think, on Italy at the time when um, Silva's character, who's a little bit more right wing, I think, than Sabato. Sabato's more of a lefty, I think, a little bit. Um, and Silva's character says a lot of people would like a police state, sweep the city clean. And that really was the sentiment. But you'd look at a lot of these films, and they're very much right-wing films um, in what they're saying. But again, just very interesting they say that. And it shows that, you know, serious-minded film didn't quite live up to the 
the skill and the, the sort of serious mindedness didn't always uh, jive. But right, um, I mean, we get scenes of women being gunned down, you know, which is always a bit jarring to see women get sort of gunned down in sort of a bloody haze. It doesn't bother me with a man, but you get a woman or a child, and it's certainly adds a lot of grit mm-hmm. to the uh, proceedings. Uh, we do get the Silva Haymaker, which is that you know, serious <laughs> punch he throws in every film. Yes. I love seeing the silver. And then, in fact, my wife walks in and, and she saw me smile. She goes, that's just so you. And I said, what? And she goes, just just that, that devilish grin at the cheesiest part of a film. <laughs> yes. I said, it's not cheesy. I said, that's silver, man. <laughs> yeah, that and the, uh, you get the patented silver trench coat, too. Okay. Don't forget to mention, I don't think either one of us have mentioned the trench coat yet. Mm, no, we haven't. <laughs> we certainly haven't. Um, I love that you'd mentioned it. The scene with Silva and Sabato on their own bikes. Mm-hmm. Um us chasing their motorbikes and it's almost like thun- like you know in, in football when you have a running back duel it's like thunder and lightning yes it's almost like they- Silva goes through a fucking car by just sort of driving over it <laughs> whereas uh, Sabato goes around it yes it's just uh, I really <laughs> like that um, we get a love making scene with uh, as you touched on with Silva and, and uh, Miss Barely Legal um, and I gotta ask where's the dead livestock <laughs> yes <laughs> Oh man, and, uh, those are, those are actually all my notes because I just my last note was it's a very ambiguous ending, but I think it's just because some things get a little bit lost in translation. And I had told you I was sort of watching my son through the last twenty minutes of the film, and I think I may have missed a couple of the dots to connect. So, yeah, there are some dot connect there, but in, in fairness to you, there is some dot connection that needs to be made at the end, though, too. So that's just the way this film is kind of set up. All right, so I'll go over my MVT and make a break. My make a break is obviously going to be the motorcycle scene. It's pretty breathtaking, pretty good. Probably one of the better Policia chase scenes I've seen, and it was nice to see motorcycles for a change like that. Uh, and it's really well done. The stunts are pretty insane, and, and it's a lot of fun, man, all these motorcycles flying around. <laughs> and ramps. It's like in Gymkata with the gymnast equipment. It's yes. like there's just ramps all over the city yes. <laughs> for them to fly over. Yes. The bikes are in the air more often than they're on the ground. <laughs> Yeah, and it's usually, usually you only see bikes when there's like the two guys doing the purse snatching. Yes, but it's nice to see, like you said, the bikes in an actual chase scene. Yes, it's very nice. My MVT for the film is going to be the camaraderie between the leads, between Silva and Sabato. They work really well together, and they just they seem to fit together somehow. And I really liked instead of just giving it to Silva or Sabato or even the director, I would give it to both of them for the well, all of them really because they kind of build on this camaraderie and. I love the scenes. I love the Donald Duck scene. I love the kind of joking around. I love when they find the uh, the guns on the docks. Like, it's pretty funny the, the way that's all set up and stuff. Very, it's kind of ridiculous, but at the same time, I, I love the scenes when they're together. I mean, they're running down the dock and then they're stopping, looking around. Then they're running again and they're stopping, looking around. Then they're climbing a ladder and they're running and then they're stopping. <laughs> so it's it, but it's fun to watch them two together because you know Sabato is a very unique looking person. Silva definitely a very unique looking person and. It's just great to see, like you know, like this buddy movie from Italy, you know, crime movie. Because over here it would have been Danny Glover and Mel Gibson, right? So, yep, pretty great. Uh, my score for the film overall is going to be a six point seven five out of ten. I think it's a good film, but I think it's clunky in the direction a little bit and the editing. I think that it's very much what people always complain about without Tarantino. Oddly enough, is that it's all dialogue, dialogue, then action, then dialogue, dialogue, dialogue action. This one really is that. It's like dialogue, dialogue, action scene. Dialogue, dialogue, action scene. And some of the action scenes are not as good as others. That's probably the reason why the score is a little lower than normal. It's probably some of the action scenes, I think, are not as good as others. Uh, back 20 minutes, though, fucking amazing. So let me say that. Uh, 
All right, so I'll kick it over to you. Okay, uh, my make or break are all the scenes with Spado and Silva together. Like you said, it, normally in these films you get sort of the one-man gang, and you may get the people on the periphery that sort of guide him or assist him, um, but to have that, I don't know if it was quite 50-50, maybe 55-45 or 60-40 split in terms of focus on the characters, I really liked it, and I think you know, whether it was them ribbing each other good-naturedly or the action scenes on the bikes and stuff, I really, really liked all the scenes with them, and that's what made the film for me. Because like you said, there's a few spots where um, uh, aspirations of Tarantini didn't quite live up to what he was able to pull off. Um, right. Right. My MVT, again, is the chemistry between the two. It is the most viable thing about the film, clearly. Uh, they worked very, very well together. And, you know, it's one of those things, it's almost like in comic books when you get that that team up of like your favorite characters. Yes. Um, it's always very cool to see. And, and that's one of the reasons we all like ensemble guys on a missions film, because we get to see one of our favorites team up. And this is one of those for me, I got to see two guys. I really dig teaming up together. Um, I like this film a lot more than you did, I think because, uh, well, I don't know. I guess I just, uh, was in a better mood that day. I don't know what it was. Um, <laughs> but I definitely liked it more than you did. I'd give it actually a 7.5 out of 10. Nice. Uh, I really liked it. I thought, there's a lot of strong things about it. I think it could have been even better in the hands of a better director. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's my score for the film. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's. I just think it's a little convoluted. But I, I can see where, you know, I think this is going to be one that kind of people that like the genre or are interested in the genre, they'll go check out. And I'd be interested to hear, you know, people pick it up from Cinema Day Bazaar. I'd be interested to hear some other people, some of our listeners call in and talk about it and see what they think of it. Because this is one I'd like to hear a lot of opinions on. I wonder if Hans has seen it, actually. I'm sure he has. But. I don't know. We'll find out. Maybe he'll uh, write an email or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so that is our review of Crime Busters, uh, and we will take a break and come back and do some Fist of the North Star. So we'll be back right after this. If you haven't been listening to Outside the Cinema recently, here's what you've missed. Our one-year anniversary show. Congratulations, if you were listening. Hooray us! You have come across the one-year anniversary episode of Outside the Cinema. Woo! Ryan's tearful goodbye. <laughs> I promised myself I wouldn't cry. Chris's excited welcome. And for the first official time, new co-host, Mr. Chris. How's everybody doing? And Chris's sudden embrace by the OTC Nation. I am. I'm at a loss for words, which is really bad because this is an audio format. Oh, yeah. And you missed a whole lot of movie talk, too. You're a source for a cult movie discussion. <laughs> a little strange choice of music there. I don't even know what I picked there. <laughs> I think it's Funnel of Love. I think it's what it's called. I think that's from, uh, was it Kill Bill 2 maybe? Uh, let me look. Uh, that is from the, oh, it's from the uh, Rock and Roller soundtrack. Mm, I think that might be in Kill Bill 2 as well. Uh, it sounds that. like it might be in just about every film. <laughs> have you heard the song Mule Skinner Blues? Uh, yes, I have. I was going to I was gonna send that your way to play on the show at some point. Nice. We'll do that. Shall do. You sent me some stuff that I think is great for promos, which we just haven't recorded yet because 
we are very busy individuals, what with you know raising children, seeing movies, and talking about Rocco Sofredi, which I, evidently that's going to be the theme to this week. <laughs> yes. I had no idea I would talk about Rocco today. We never have any idea the way the roads it takes us down. <laughs> it seems like it's either Peter North, John Holmes, or Rocco now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, so our next film is... Uh, Fist of the North Star, which uh, I'm going to have to look up on the IMDb here for a plot synopsis because, of course, I'm not ready uh, because that would be a professional thing to do, and you know me. <laughs> I'm just always uh, not professional here. Let's see. We got uh, – ooh, there we go. A lot of Fist of the North Star because it's a very popular manga slash anime type thing. All right. So plot synopsis. You know what? There's not really any plot. Let's just say that uh, this is basically, the tagline is basically the plot synopsis. We'll just say, a legendary warrior battles against the forces of evil. And uh, it's basically your hero's journey type film, wouldn't you say? In a a post-apocalyptic sort of, uh, ruled by an iron fist villain. Yes, and with Malcolm McDowell cashing a serious paycheck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just let me say that. (laughs) Like, I'm going to show up for work, goddammit. Yeah. (laughs) But I expect (laughs) to only be here an hour. Yeah, he probably wasn't on set. That was my that was my really bad Malcolm McDowell impression. By the, impression, by the way. <laughs> oh, me druggies. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, so I picked this film uh, from 1995, that uh, golden time of action cinema. <laughs> uh, let's see what you think about it. Well, I was interested in seeing this film because I'm a little bit of a Gary Daniels fan. I've seen a few of his films, and he's sort of a low rent kind of. As uh, the Mondo guys say, cheap and cheerful kind of action star. Um, he is actually, to my opinion, he's almost like the poor man's Jean-Claude Van Damme, and that's that's saying something. <laughs> but I do think he's more talented than Van Damme from a, a martial arts standpoint. Yes, from an actual martial arts standpoint, yes. But the, there are moments when it's so Van Damme-ish in this film with the the greasy body and the splits. It's like, dude. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's, uh... These two guys get together and they're probably like, watch how far I can go down to the splits. Yeah, that that is unfortunate, and there's a bit of vanity in there. But I do like Daniels. I wish he had of maybe caught on more than some others. But uh, interestingly, I watched this on my computer because my wife was watching Big Brother, which I didn't want to watch. Nice. Um, so sometimes we try and coordinate me watching the movie she least wants to watch with her watching something I least want to watch of hers. Um, so I put it in, and I get sort of the chapter menu, and the music was like an early '90s German circuit party kind of techno vibe. Um, and Sammy, a circuit party is where a bunch of muscled gay men dance on ecstasy. <laughs> oh, okay. So it sounds like this early 90s German circuit party music, and it just was really bizarre um, and kind of odd to listen to. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> we get moving on from the German circuit parties. We get a very eclectic mix of A to Z listers in this film. Yeah, the cast is pretty amazing. In the, it is. in the movie, when you look at everybody that's in it, I mean, you keep seeing faces. You're like, "Fuck, how'd they get this person in there?" Yeah, it's you got Gary Daniels, you got Malcolm McDowell, Costas Mandalore. Uh, <laughs> oh, downtown. we're we're going to talk about Costas Mandalore. Oh, we will. <laughs> downtown Julie Brown. Yes, Melvin, uh, uh, sweet sweet back himself, Melvin Van Peebles. Yes, Clint Howard. Yes, Chris Penn. Yes. Tracy Walter. Tracy Walter may not be known by name, but if you see his face, you will know him. Absolutely. Immediately. Probably most known as Jack Nicholson's main henchman in the Batman movie with Michael Keaton. Yes, yes, exactly. He's he's in a lot of stuff. You'll know him to see him. So it's just an interesting 
mix. Is there any more, is there, or is that it? Does it stop there? There? Might, <laughs> there might be more, but for the sake of time constraints, I'm going to leave it at that. I know there is a couple of uh, wrestlers in here, a couple of professional oh. wrestlers. Yes, uh, we get Vader himself. Yeah. Leon White, is it? Yeah, yeah. Big Van Vader's in here, and he plays a character named Goliath, and of course he does the Vader moves. And there's another one that played, uh, he was a Russian in the WWF at the time, but I can't remember his name. Mm, not Boris Zukov, that was probably before this. Yeah, so anyway, but there was another one. There's a couple of wrestlers in here, so just an, yeah, so just yeah. an interesting cast. <laughs> yeah, it is. It there's really also is. another Oriental actor, character actor, who has done a ton of shit, but I can't think of his name. Is it the guy Dante Basco that played Bat? Uh, I don't know. I'll look it up while you talk about the film. Okay. Uh, no, it's, it's, you, George, it's George Chung, by the way. George oh, Chung. yes, he plays the... I know who he is now. He's an older Chinese man, I think. Um, so, interestingly, this is a manga. And instead of deciding to do it in Japan or China or somewhere, uh, they do it in America. <laughs> yes. And they decide not to change the name. So, Malcolm McDowell plays Ryukin. Yes. Uh, Gary Daniels plays a character named Kenshiro. Yes. Hostess Mandler plays Lord Shin. And you can kind of get away with Lord Shin being, um, uh, you know, sort of a generic name as opposed to an Asian name. But it's just bizarre that most of them have Japanese names, uh, interestingly. Did we mention Clint Howard when we talked about the cast? Yeah, we did. He plays a character named Stalin. <laughs> yeah, which is bizarre. But we get all these Guaylos playing these Japanese. He's He's got my favorite line of dialogue when he goes, Die, you dog! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's riding around on the bike. Yes, that's awesome. <laughs> Pistol in hand. What I'll always say about Clint Howard, regardless of the quality of any movie he's in, he always seems to be having a fucking blast. Yeah, he does, and I like him. I've heard him in interviews, and he seems like a really nice man. Really, yes. really nice man. Always so. seems to be having fun. Yes. No, he does. Um, like you said, four minutes in, Daniels gives us his tough tits oiled up, and oh man, you know this. This is easily some of the greasiest men we've had on the GGTMC, <laughs> and that is saying something. That is between this guy and Mandalore, man. You could have fucking bottled that shit and sold it. Oh yeah, like Mandem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Mandem. They should have done a Mandem commercial together. <laughs> oh god. Um, <laughs> I do want to say this. I don't know which company put out the DVD I have, but it's a shitty DVD transfer that looks like it was transferred from a VHS, and the sound is blown out. Yes, it uh, it's odd, ain't it? It almost looks like a torrent put to DVD, because uh, I watched it too, and I watched it on an HD television through an HD DVD player I have that I used to play. It's like, you know, it upconverts all my DVDs. And, uh, wow, man, there was like a lot of white dots, a lot of popping, uh, stuff like that. I was really surprised that... Uh, I, I was surprised that it looked like it did, and I was also surprised that the film has managed to maintain any quality over the years because it seems like a film somebody would have made and then just thrown aside somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, I know it's just it's a shame that it's it's like that because the thing that impresses me the most or surprised me the most was that the production values, considering what the budget must have been, were really really good. It has a very epic kind of sweeping post apocalyptic feel to it. The set design and so forth was mm-hmm. very nice. Yes. I mean, I really expected Cracker Jack uh, production set design. Yes, uh, it's it's post-apocalyptic done on a budget and uh, obviously done a lot on studio sets, but it works really well. It's very it's very much got a Blade Runner feel. Yeah, totally, totally. It's got that steampunk kind of... Uh, yes, you got open flames coming out of buildings for no reasons. <laughs> you, know, you got all that kind of stuff going on, but it, it's totally got that feel, and really the production design is considering the budget, which I don't know what it was, but... 
it's obvious that they, they, they had the right thing in mind when they come to making this film. The only problem with that thing, though, is that – you remember when we talked about Appaloosa, how it felt real tight all the time when it was shot? It does feel tight. You're yeah, right. This feels very tight, too, very intimate. And I don't know if when you're making a post-apocalyptic movie uh, if you should be that intimate. Yeah. Or maybe if you got no. Gary Daniels in your movie, I don't know if you should be that intimate. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, we have a blind girl in this that sort of acts uh, – as the moral compass or the, what compels Kenshiro to, uh, <laughs> instead of being a sort of a wandering rogue, to kind of uh, fight for good. Um, and she has this ridiculously uh, ridiculous line in the film when um, she's blind, she's a young girl, and uh, Bat, the lovable rogue, mm-hmm. uh, steals her a can of fruit and he gives it to her and you can see her da- gazing off, right? She's blind. And she shakes the can. She goes, is it peaches? It sounds like peaches. Yes. And I just rolled my eyes and thought, oh, fuck, come on. It is, a, it is not handled well. Of course, it is all a plot device, as you find out a little later. Yeah, but I just, it was a really, <laughs> a really bad moment. But, you know, whatever, that's fine. Um, well, some of the worst acting is between that brother and sister. Well, I would say that Bat is far and away the most obnoxious thing in the film. Yes. And I knew he was just going to bother me to no end as the film went on because he's like that 14 or 15 year old kind of you know if this was made now on a budget a younger Shia LaBeouf would have played where he's like the wise talking kind of like you know sidekick yeah and yellow pants never help either no they certainly don't <laughs> and and peroxide blonde hair never helps yes yeah that's true so I just I knew he was going to be the death of me uh, if they featured him too much and thankfully there's a little more sparse but <laughs> Nonetheless, his scenes did great me. Uh, we get Chris Penn, who I think doesn't get enough good credit or credit as being a solid actor. Uh, we get him in some dirty sort of S and M post apocalyptic wear. Yes, yes. The only thing Chris Penn has ever, if he, if he ever, he's always been a good actor. I think he's a good actor too, or was a good actor, I should say. But the only thing that ever hurt Chris Penn, I think, is his voice. Yeah. I think his voice always hurt him a little bit, and it hurts him a little bit in this too, because he's a big, intimidating dude, got a great face, uh, and he still works in this film. But his voice sometimes, when he, especially when he yells, it, it's always kind of drove me a little crazy. But uh, yeah, he is missed, man. I liked him a lot. I was always hoping Tarantino would use him again. He did Tarantino dialogue very well. Oh yeah, I always remember that damn joke he told in the car with Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, and Steve Buscemi, and I fucking laugh my ass off every time. Oh, he's great, man. He uh, I can't remember the joke off the top of my head. but It's the one where was, they talk about gluing this pecker to his belly and then he, wouldn't you be pissed off if you had to piss doing a handstand? <laughs> oh, nice. I forgot that. It's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> uh, but no, he was good, man. And uh, it's it's too bad that, you know, he sort of, people think of him as sort of not good. Um, but uh, we get some practical effects early on in this when Kenshiro... <laughs> kicks a bad guy and it's something out of like a Looney Tunes cartoon where yes. the guy's jaw is you know far over from his face yeah that's the other one the professional wrestlers yeah I, I, I don't know how I feel about that violence I like it and I don't like it because uh, it never really reappears is the problem yeah I think maybe once more and it's in a brief moment and I, I kind of like the absurdity of it and I think they could have went even further with it if they wanted to and been like ultra violent but it's like they went that way, and then they were like, oh, maybe we should back off a little bit. And then they kind of go back to it a little bit, but then they kind of back off again. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I hate to say this, but I think that if it could have been more over-the-top violent, maybe not in the cartoonish way, but at least more over-the-top violent than it was, which it is still pretty violent. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Let me ask you this. Was the cut of the disc you had 92 minutes long? Yes, it was. This, as was the one I had. I know that when I looked on IMDb, because I'd heard it was brutally violent, that originally it was uh, uh, an hour and 44 minutes long, so 104 minutes. So I think we're missing 12 minutes of gore. Uh, I would bet we're missing 12 minutes of something. I'll be fine if I can find an uncut version and it's 12 minutes of gore, but if it's 12 minutes more of Costas Mandalore, I'll fucking kill somebody. Or bat. <laughs> or bat. <Maybe>. Rascable. <laughs> Sidekick. <laughs> and speaking of Costas Mandalore, he, to me, in this movie, looks like Ellen DeGeneres wearing an 80s hair metal wig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. His hair in this movie and his acting. Oh, man. I mean, he's easily even worse than bat to me. He's easily the worst thing in the film. He's really bad, man. Really bad. Uh, and and Costas, the scenes, I mean, what, what is Costas mostly known for? Well, to me, growing up, I knew him from the movie Mobsters. Yes, okay. Because as a kid, I thought it was cool. Now I'm sure if I watched it now, I think it was a fucking turd. It was like they tried to replicate Young Guns by way of... Oh, that's... You know, yeah, okay. Yeah, that one I remember. Oh, he's known for the Saw films nowadays. That's right. He's been now, in the Saw he's, movies. He's pretty bad in those. He was actually decent in a small turn on Sopranos when uh, he was like a... He's one of their neighbor, one of the Sopranos' neighbors' brothers, and he was—he's uh, like a tradesman, and he, I think, oh, he almost hooked up with uh, with uh, Tony Soprano's wife there, Edie Falco. Oh, okay, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, there was a little angle with them, uh, but and the funny thing, speaking of mobsters, there's like this '40s kind of Art Deco painting that that Costas Miller does for himself, and I thought <laughs> they must have lifted it from the movie Mobsters. Yes, I saw that. I saw ridiculous. That. that painting was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, always in these movies, whenever there's like a, a princess or, or a woman captured, it's all, always like, why do they always have that four-poster bed? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess they got to have that for some reason. Just, it's bizarre that they always have that. Um, we talked about the production design again. I like the little pod bites, like the motorcycles they had. Yeah, yeah, they they look pretty neat. Except I don't think they would be able to take a turn too well. No, in my experience of riding motorcycles. Uh, if you got a big cage around there, you're not going to be taking a tight turn. You're going to have to, tie, you're going to, have to turn kind of wide. Uh, yes, <laughs> certainly. Certainly. Um, what was up with the third-rate Michael Berryman smoking from the kazoo pipe? Oh, that yes. That guy, who was that guy? That guy was another character actor I'm sure we'd be familiar with if we know his name, but I, I don't know who he is. I don't know either. But I, I'm he, looking through the IMDb, and I don't see a fuck. I don't remember his name in the movie either. That's the unfortunate part. <laughs> in a sea of hunks in this film, he was among the least hunky. Yes. Not saying something. Might actually be this guy named Paulo Tocha. Paulo Tauka? Tocha? I don't know. Looks like him. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. If so, head. he's done a lot of uh, a lot of movies we should be covering. <laughs> yeah. Looks like uh, yeah. he did uh, Blood Fist 7, Manhunt. Wow. <laughs> That's uh, not good. Fatal Beauty, Seven. which I think I own Fatal Beauty. Nice. Wow, he's done a lot of ninja movies. Ninja Terminator, Clash of the Ninjas, Silver Dragon Ninja, Ninja Dragon. Which in Ninja Dragon, he's also known as Bruce Stallion. Now, that's a great fucking name. <laughs> that's a great point on name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, sorry, I lost my train of thought. They're talking about this guy, Mr. Stallion. Um, one thing, complaint I want to make about the film oh, is... Dude, do you know who that is? Who? That's Paco from Bloodsport. You remember the guy that fought with the tie tie way, the way he held his arms up and he kind of would, uh, you know, the tie the tie fighting. If you saw if you saw Bloodsport right now, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah, I can't remember. I haven't seen it in a while. Holy fuck! I can't believe that's Paco. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, there we go. And now for your back to our podcast, so you listen to Large William and Samurai Surf the Internet. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I talked earlier how I felt like it was good that the film had sort of this epic kind of scale to it on such a small budget, but I do want to say that there was a far too much slow motion in this film and far too much sort of epic sweeping music, notably uh, in this the raid scene by, by Chris Penn. I mean, it's great that that music's there in slow motion there, but to use it all the time almost made it seem like it was a, a parody, like it was just too much to the point where it detracts from the film and becomes a drinking game. Yeah, it, it does. I agree with that. I mean, it gets to the point where Chris Penn, like, it's not like he even has lines of dialogue. It's just speech after rousing bad guy speech about yeah. crushing people and might and power and, you know, it's just, uh, it's too bad. But, you know, and then uh, another criticism I have, because I'm trying to sit through my notes here, a lot of the fights are terribly shot in the way that most American martial arts films are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, this is done, so you don't expose the people in the film's uh, expose their shortcomings, but I think where they dropped the ball with this film was the casting. If they had got David Carradine, because we know Carradine was up for casting a check. Oh yeah. If we had got David Bradley or Michael Dudikoff, nice. or Don the Dragon Wilson, or Benny the Jet, <laughs> or you know uh, Joe Lewis or Richard Norton, Ty Max, Steve James, Oliver Olivier Grunier, Cynthia Rothrock, get these American direct-to-video action stars to do this film get a martial arts cast because this manga was about martial arts. Get right. these people because sure they couldn't have afforded Chuck and JCVD and that. Get them in. Get someone who can shoot the action. I think this film gets bumped up considerably. Yes, I totally agree with that. The problem is that uh, when you finally get to your, and this is not a spoiler, when you finally get to your climactic battle uh, you got Gary Daniels known for being a great martial artist uh, versus Costas Mandalore known for being a sweaty beast. You know, for being Ellen and drag with Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, Dr. Feel Good Era Hair. And, you know, the minute I saw in that uh, chamber he would uh, sit on that chair, the minute I saw that, I saw those white kind of glass uh, cabinets on the sides. I knew immediately the first time I saw this film that those were going to be broken. <laughs> yes. I mean, they're just yes. like sitting there and I'm like, oh, those are going to be broken. There's no reason for those to be there otherwise. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I still don't even understand the seed thing, by the way. Uh, there's a lot I don't quite understand. <laughs> yes. Um, now, I, I don't understand why when Cosmos Mandler puts his fingers into Daniel's chest, um, Gary Daniel's scream sounds more like McLovin having a mind-blowing orgasm than someone yeah. who's in excruciating pain. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and again, why, why wouldn't if he can do that? Why wouldn't he just kill kill him? You know, that's one of those things. I mean, if you're that powerful that you can just stick fingers through skin. Why not just kill him? Why, why toy with him a little bit? It's just kind of ridiculous. His blood is evidently fire. Or yeah, that was, like I wonder how they pulled off that effect, though. Yeah, it was pretty neat. I have to admit. Kind of interesting. Um, now, Costas Miller gets the glow, and you'd think nine to ten years <laughs> after Show Enough debuted it that it would look better than it did, but yes. it didn't. No, this rotoscoping is terrible. <laughs> yes. Um, and those are pretty much all the notes I have. Again, there's some nice arterial spray. Um, but I think our copy was cut and pulled away from some of the splatters. So those are all my notes. I think you're right. I think it was uh, a little. It had to have been cut up a little bit. So hopefully, uh, maybe if there, well, maybe not. Hopefully, but we'll have to see if there is a uh, an uncut version of this out there somewhere. Maybe there is. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'll talk a little bit about it. Uh, it is directed by Tony Randall. Now, Tony Randall, I thought when I was a younger film fan, I thought Tony Randall was going to go on to great things. 
I really did think that. I think he's he's got some credits to his name that uh, are interesting visually. Absolutely. Uh, we'll give you some examples. He did uh, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, which uh, I think is actually a really good sequel. It's a really good sequel, yeah. definitely. He did, um, let's see here, uh, Ticks, which is one of the ones I think that Bill and them covered a long time ago. Uh, but it's pretty good. It's also known as Infested, or it's actually it's called Infested, also known as Ticks. But it's got Alfonso Ribeiro in it, so how can you go wrong? Oh, I did. They did cover that. I remember that. <laughs> yes, and he and he did one deck called Defcon Four, even though he's uncredited for that. One called Children of the Night, which I believe is a Peter DeLuise Fangoria film. I'm, uh, yeah, I think this is what it is. Yeah, it is Peter DeLuise, Karen Black, and Amy Dolan. So you know it's a winner. But it's nice. it's actually visually pretty good. I thought this guy was going to go on to some things. I really did. And then when I saw Fist of the North Star, I thought, okay, well, now, you know, now he is going to go on to some stuff. He's going to be good. And uh, he literally disappeared off the face of the earth. Uh, he's still working. did something called The Double Born in 2008, which I got to click on because that's a terrible title. The Double Born. I'm clicking on it as well. Uh, I know nobody in this film. Sammy Davis, Alex Weed. I don't, I don't know any of these people. I don't uh, but anyway, he he just really he literally disappeared, and I think he might have been uh, back a long time ago. I know he was uh, maybe music video director. Oh, it looks like he was an editor. Oh, he's an editor on Battle Beyond the Stars and Space Raiders. Nice. I have both of those films. Nice. So he and he uh, he worked on. Uh, ooh, he was a vision. Oh, he must have came from the Corman's and James Cameron world because he was a visual effects guy on Escape from New York oh, and Galaxy of Terror and stuff like that. So he must have came from that world. But anyway, I thought he was going to be much better than what he is. And then Hellbound 2, which or Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, was really good. And I thought, oh, man, this guy's going to really really be off to something because visually he's very good. And there's moments in this film where you think, okay, he's uh, he's got some real talent. I mean, I like the, the kind of zombie moment you get. I like the blown out. I mean, he's definitely a fan of Fulci's lighting, lightning machines. <laughs> we get lightning machines again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of them, as a matter of fact. A lot of wind, a lot of sand. Uh, but visually, the film is very good, considering it's very cramped and it's obviously shot on sets. Uh, but I really liked it. The model work is good. Uh, I like that scene. Yes. I like that uh, that real nice model of the submarine sitting on shore. They that, that look really nice. There was some really great. Like I said, they got the bang for their buck, man. They really did. Uh, the scope is handled well, considering that. I mean, I have to admit, he does establish that it's this desolate wasteland. Even though you know it's not, you know it's shot on like probably the same two or three sets, and and I did have some fun with the absurdity of the fights a little bit. Sometimes they're a little absurd. Sometimes they're well overacted, I should say. Uh, this is definitely the definition of a midnight movie, in my opinion. This is uh, one that the quality is not super high, but it's one of those ones that like I know I used to watch it quite often on cable TV late at night. It would come on, and I'd be like, oh well, this is a fun little romp, you know. 90 or 100 minutes, you know, and, and I'd watch it. And it, it flows good. It doesn't really get boring. No, it doesn't. And that's the key, I think. If this would have gotten boring, it would have been a travesty. <laughs> oh, but yeah. Thankfully, it keeps flowing and it keeps moving along pretty well. There were some moments with Chris Penn and the female lead uh, that they kind of intermingled with the climactic battle at the end that I thought was handled pretty pretty badly. Uh, I just I didn't really get into it too much. I mean, the payoff with Chris Penn is pretty great because uh, we don't want to give it away, but the Fist of the North Star, he has this special technique he does, similar to the five-finger death punch <laughs> from, from Kill Bill, maybe. <laughs> yes, and let's just say it takes place in Freddy's boiler room. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> like a lot of late 80s and early 90s uh, climactic battles do. <laughs> And uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it pays off with that and stuff. So there's some interesting things there. But the, the special effects, the prosthetic effects are really good, uh, considering. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's it, this is the early days of CGI, so they didn't really use any of it, but uh, so they did really well. The the myth of uh, Kenshiro and Ryukin and all these characters, the Master of the South, whatever he's called. The, Southern Cross. Uh, yeah, Southern Cross, all this stuff. It's really not handled well. I mean, you're really confused as to why he's the Southern Cross, why he's the North Star. I mean, I'm guessing it's some kind of mythological stuff that I don't know anything about. And this film's certainly not going to tell you anything about it. Uh, you just know that Gary Daniels is the fist of the North Star. You just know Casas Mandalore is the Southern Cross guy. You know Malcolm McDowell is – was he the father of Gary Daniels? Yep. Ryukin. So we know that. So we know he was the original North Star. Uh, again, this is Malcolm McDowell cashing serious payola. <laughs> he literally is in the movie, like, what, five minutes? Well, his voice is used more than he's in it. Yes. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you're not really – the myth is not handled well. I mean, I guess they're just assuming you'll know a lot about the North Star coming in. But I didn't know that much, and the film didn't really give me anything else. Uh, it's kind of similar in a lot of ways. It's got a lot of uh, kind of philosophy and things, uh, kind of like Circle of Iron, which I watched this past week. But in Circle of Iron, you kind of know what he's trying. They're trying. David Carradine and Bruce Lee and them were all trying to get across about Kalate and all these other great things. But in this, I can't get anything except that you know Southern Cross should not fight North Star. Yes, <laughs> that's. I keep hearing that, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know what the implications of that are. <laughs> and even and even when it happens, I still don't understand what the implications were. So that's kind of clunky and. And, of course, Gary Daniels acting. Even though I do like him, too, I think he's good as an action star. He's actually going to be in The Expendables, uh, playing a character known as the Brit, which is funny when you think Jason Statham's in it as well. But I think Jason Statham's character's named Lee Christmas or something. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) This movie is either going to be a train wreck or the most awesome movie next year. (laughs) I'm glad Stallone got Daniels involved. Like I said, it's sad that he missed the boat. He's one that really did have genuine talent from a martial arts standpoint. And, you know, had a bit of a look to him and stuff and the physique to really be a big uh, direct-to-video star. And I think it's a shame that he didn't hit it bigger um, in that. Yeah, I mean, we'll be doing more Gary Daniels stuff, so we'll be talking about him quite a bit. Uh, he did do quite a bit of action movies, uh, straight-to-video stuff, but it never really kind of panned out the way I think it was supposed to, like the Seagals and the Van Dams and the guys like that. Not even I, mean, I, I would guess he's probably not even as popular as Jeff Speakman. People know Jeff Speakman more than they know Gary Daniels. Yeah, that's too bad. That is too bad because Jeff Speakman's—he's passable, but he's not. He might be a better actor face-wise than uh, Daniels. I think Daniels looks fine, but I think in this movie he looks like he's constantly holding back the fact that he's got to take a serious dump. Yes, <laughs> that's his emoting. I mean, <laughs> that's his emoting. His emoting is like, look how big my eyes are. Oh God, I got to take a crap. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh yeah, we get the action convention of empty warehouses and open flames, uh, all that stuff. And Cassus, uh, Castus, Castus Mandalore is cast badly. Uh, he is seriously, and Bat is pretty grating. I have to admit, but every time Mandalore is on film, he even his even when he's not talking, I'm not intimidated by him. I just think he looks like a goofball. And another thing is, Tony Randall really should have got on his actors to watch their accents. Because yeah. Gary Daniels slips in and out of a British accent. Costas Mandalore slips in and out of a serious New York accent, which is weird considering he's from Inga, uh, Australia. Is he? I didn't know he was an Aussie. <laughs> yeah, he is, but I don't know if he has an Australian accent. 
I've never really heard him talk in his normal voice. I've always heard him do kind of a New York thing. So maybe he's this Australian expatriate moved to New York and grew up there. Because he definitely, and this one has a New York draw. Did you hear it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, he's a Southern Cross. He's so mythic. Uh, yeah. Can, can you get me a cannoli down on 52nd Street? The, the Southern Bronx Cross. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, how you doing? Uh, that might have been New Jersey again. My bad. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think the film's passable. This is truly the definition of a midnight movie. I think it's fun. It's it's not great, but it's a good time waster, you know. And if you if you like the mythology, uh, I would probably recommend checking out the manga or maybe the anime. But uh, this is not going to give you a lot of uh, a lot of backstory. But it, it's it's competent, and I, and I enjoyed it. So I'll kick it over to you for your MVT and make or break. Okay, uh, my make or break. Or the martial arts scenes with spray. It's almost like Ricky O meets Mad Max in oh, a lot of ways. So glad you said that. That's a, that's a that's the first reaction I get is Ricky O. <laughs> yeah, it totally does, and that's why I think it's a shame that we watched what I have to hope is a cut version because you get those martial arts scenes in this post-apocalyptic setting with all this arterial spray. And I'm thinking, wow, that's awesome. If they'd have went the Ricky O way, this would be a cult classic. Oh, for sure it would have. For sure it would have. Um, my MVT, you know, I want to say Daniels because I think Daniels deserves more praise for what he does. But I think Tony Randall, who I read interestingly is a black belt in Kem- Kempo Karate. So nice. you'd think he would have <laughs> shot this action stuff better. I think that they don't give Daniels enough to work with in terms of shooting his stuff well enough that yeah. it, it obscures it a bit. So my MVT is actually Chris Penn. I really like Chris Penn in this. And nice. he has this great line, it ain't easy being sleazy. And yeah. you know he just has a fun time sort of chewing it up and, and being a real scummy bad guy. Um, as much, like I said, as much as I like Daniels, I'm going to go with Penn. My score for the film was a 6.25 out of 10. Nice. Um, I think if the gore had been left in, this could have definitely been bumped up a point, because that's the point of something like this. Randall, who has a background in martial arts, even though it doesn't always show the way he shoots it, and clearly has a background in horror, you combine those two with this post-apocalyptic setting, and they don't hold back, I think you're going to definitely see the film move up a point for me. Well, I think also, you know, it's easy to, uh, people might misinterpret the fact that we wanted more gore as a couple of, you know, boys wanting, you know, their action stuff. But I think that the gore in this case, because of the absurdity of the karate in some spot, or the absurdity of the martial arts, I should say, I think the gore would have taken it that much further. Kind of like Ricky O. I mean, it's like exactly what you said. I mean, if if this would have been like Ricky O, the American Ricky O, I mean, uh, people would still be talking about it right now. Mm-hmm. Whereas now people just kind of know it a little bit. Some people know it, some people don't. Uh, my make or break is uh, the acting, and it almost breaks it in some spots. Uh, I like most of the people in it, and I think they make the film because this film is is very low budget, and it's pretty shoddy in spots. And Tony Randall does a great job with the set design and everything, and you'll hear me talk about the set design my MVT and stuff. But some of the acting is a little, you know, uh, like Bat, for instance. Uh, Downtown Julie Brown's serviceable, although she has some moments that are kind of... You know what? I I, I got to say, I actually really liked her. She was a lot better than I thought she would be. Now, is she Meryl Streep? Is she Sissy Spacek? No, but she was a lot better than I thought she would be. That, that is true. I mean, I have to give you that. But still, there were some lines reading she did that I was just like, oh. But then again, in, in, in her defense, Melvin Van Peebles, who actually has experience, there's some line readings he does, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. he, he does some uh, philo- philos- uh, philosophy. Uh, what am I trying to say? Do I want a falafa? What am I doing here, man? <laughs> philosophical uh dialogue when uh, they're doing some training it borders on ham closely because of, because of what you said earlier because of the music 
and some of the other stuff. It's very sweeping, very epic, and uh, it's not directed very well. So there's some moments there, too. Quinn Howard is obviously – him and Chris Penn were just fucking having a blast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were just having a ton of fun on this thing. The only thing this thing film needed is it's not cast Casas Mandalore. They should put Gary Busey in that role. That would have been awesome. As Lord Shin, and I would have been down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so my MVT for the film is the set design and the model work. I think it's pretty fucking amazing. I mean, it, it's really, really good stuff. Uh, it looks great. It really does. I mean, uh, I like the smoke machines. Uh, somebody's evidently watched some Fulci movies. <laughs> uh, you know, when you got a low budget, if you don't want anybody to see the back of the studio wall, you just fill the set full of smoke. That's what you do. <laughs> that is exactly what you do. And uh, I had a lot of fun with it. I, every time it would cut to a scene of the open landscapes or these uh, barren trees and everything, even though I know it's on the studio, it, it still gave me the sense of, you know, this back, this epic background. The great scene in the rain when he walks out in the rain, that's pretty cool. The acid rain, you know, he can't be burned. That made me think of Hands of Steel. Yes, and I mean, I really, I really like that stuff. And uh, visually, the film is is quite pleasant to look at. Uh, narrative, yeah. Narratively, it can get a little clunky, but visual, visually, the fu- the film's pretty fun. I do want to actually retract my most valuable thing and make it that because yes, it is very good for what it is. Yes, I mean that's the thing. I think you're going to walk away from the most with the film. And I can't, I can't knock your Chris Penn. Chris Penn's performance is that perfect balance of over the top. And fun. It's like it's like right in there. It's literally what Clint Howard does all the time. It's him. And, like I say, him and Clint Howard definitely got the memo. They knew what kind of movie they were making. Mm-hmm. You nailed it, man. Whereas the other guys, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think they knew what they were making. Now Malcolm McDowell always knows what he's making, which is basically money. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so, but you know that that is what it is. But Casas Mandalore thought he was making uh, fucking you know Schindler's List or something. Oh, I know. Uh, so my score for the film is exactly the same as yours. It's a six point two five. I think that's uh, it's a little bit above average, and it's 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 pretty much it's a little fun. I mean, it's a fun movie. It's just, that's all it is. And I'm glad we covered it because it has an interesting cast. And uh, I don't know if we'll cover too many more Tony Randall movies. So uh, at least we got Tony in there. I know we'll cover more Gary Daniels. Well, we sir, we have another Gary Daniels one on the slate, which is Kickbox Terminator, which has has easily the best title. Yes. <laughs> like, what movie are you guys watching this week? Oh, we're watching one called Kickbox Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to team that up with Lady Terminator. Talk about a trashy week. Oh boy, that would be amazing. <laughs> All right, so that is our review of, uh, well, I almost said Kickbox Terminator, a Fist of the North Star, a Fist of the Kickbox Terminator. Uh, well, it is technically the fist of the kickbox terminator. True, this is true. So uh, we'll go to break. We'll come back with some feedback. So we'll be back right after this. And listen to that door creak. That was hilarious. <laughs> All right. Son of my wife. <laughs> This is Alyssa from Big Red Podcast, inviting you to listen to our show about pop culture, TV, and cool stuff that we talk about every week. Right, Derek? Well, you know you love it, and we talk about it. And if you haven't been listening, here's what you've been missing out on. And by a lot, I mean there are several shows to talk about, none of which were especially good. You know, it seems mostly, uh, what I'm learning is a lot of things to take a lesson from One Tree Hill, and I never thought I'd say that. He also has a magnificent head of hair. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Viking, whatever. And as with Lost, the flashbacks aren't interesting at this point. (laughs) Uh, I'm just hoping that uh, it won't break my heart like heroes. Like punch a dinosaur in the face. Yes, the mother was was insane and bizarre and apparently high, I'm guessing. I learned a lesson today about karma. The man who can't feel pain shouldn't be dealing with hot liquids and whatever. Right, heating old man, and why are you not winning? 
So listen to Big Red Podcast if you like TV and junk on TV because we totally watch it and talk about it. So you don't have to. Find us at BigRedPodcast.com or check us out in the iTunes store. Listener feedback. All right, so here we are with some listener feedback. We uh, got quite a bit of email and quite a bit of voicemail this week, actually. So, quite a bit of talking to. I think we'll switch off on the emails just to give you a break this week because there's some <laughs> there's some long emails in there. Massive. <laughs> so we'll go ahead and get started on that. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, when do you want to announce the listener content contest? I guess at the end, or uh, you can go ahead and announce it now if you want to. Um, Not too many people entered the contest, and like we had implored all of you, enter, because even if you only get a few right, uh, that may be enough to win, considering Uh how many people uh, enter. So, uh, the winner of the contest is the Pickle Loaf himself, the Mighty Loaf. (laughs) Nice. Uh, He got... The uh, alternative meat. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Cousin of mock chicken. (laughs) Yes. Um... He got, let's see, one, two, he got four, four out of ten. Uh, Aaron was right behind him with three, um, and Sean from Chicago got Uno, so. Uh, I think, well, how, how many, I think, how many, did, uh, did uh, Roop get any? I think he got like two or three. And Roop, Roop got, yes, actually, Roop did get, uh, let's just see here, he got three. Yeah. So he almost won. He, he said he would get three, and I was like, oh, well, three might win it. And three almost did win it. <laughs> yeah, three almost did win it. So, I mean, that's the thing. Just take a shot, take a gamble, take a guess, and, and you know, it can pay off. So uh, the loaf is the winner. So, loaf, the sooner you get those picks into us, the better. Um, and that's that. Congrats to him, and, and good luck uh, next time to everyone else that entered. And for a heads up, we'll probably not do that show next week, but the week following. Yes. Just because of the time frame of getting a hold of films. So uh, so that, that's that's that. All right, now we can get into the feedback. And congratulations, Mr. Alternative Meat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see here. Uh, this email isn't so much an email as it was. Actually, you know what? It is an email. Uh, it is titled, Still Looking for a Hands of Steel poster. Uh, and it's from our good friend Jake. And Jake writes, Hello, gentlemen. This is Jake from Balmy, Cincinnati. I can't say enough about how much I love the show. Between you guys and Drunken Zombie, my podcast... podcast I sounded like Sylvester the Cat there. <laughs> my podcast thirst is satisfactorily quenched. It helps me get through 10-hour workdays. Yeah. It's refreshing to listen to a show that so frequently looks at movies that very few give a fair shake. And the lack of an internet sensationalist negativity is greatly appreciated. With that said, I was listening to your Alfredo Garcia Hands of Steel episode today, and I heard that William was searching for a poster of Hands of Steel. 
Well, if that still stands, here's a link. And of course, he gives us a link. Uh, with all of that out of the way, I'd like to submit a couple of requests. You guys should really check out um, Toshiaki Toyota's Blue Spring. Think Crow Zero without the bombast and with a heaping, uh, helping heaping of directionless angst. Uh, and of course, he means the characters, not <laughs> the directing in the film. Uh, the acting is fantastic, the music is kick-ass, and the cinematography is worth taking note. The second suggestion is Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder. Bong is mostly known as the man who directed The Host, but I believe this is his greatest achievement. It's a wild serial killer movie with a fantastic ending, deft direction, and a massive shift in tone that really sticks with you. I think of it as a more focused and emotionally resonant Zodiac. Keep up the good work, gents. Nice. Thanks, Jake. Uh, Cincinnati, not too far away. Yeah, he says he listens to our show to keep him busy through 10-hour workdays. Well, that's only about three of our shows, so I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know how much he actually has to listen to us. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, the uh, link here, uh, I'm guessing he wants us to give this out maybe. Maybe not just for us. At moviegoods.com. Uh, I guess you can go there. It's got the whole link here, but I think you can just go to moviegoods.com and probably look it up. Uh, yeah, if anybody wants a Hands of Steel poster, for those that haven't seen Hands of Steel yet... Uh, Highly recommended. <laughs> it's yeah, the pantheon of gentlemen recommended films. Yes, certainly. it's definitely out there. And Memories of Murder, you've actually talked about that before. Yeah, and we're uh, I'm, I'm those are two great uh, recommendations from Jake. Um, uh, of course, Toyota's Blue Spring is a really good Japanese film. It's I, I think I might have mentioned it in my review of Bright Future. I can't remember uh, if I did or not, but uh, you might have. Oh, I think you might have. Yeah, I, I think I might have, but. Bong Joon-ho, I, I think I mentioned on the boards even recently to someone uh, just talking about his filmmaking. I think he's one of the better filmmakers in Korea that no one talks about with The Host, mm-hmm. uh, Memories of Murder, which is based on a true story, and of course Mother, which is one of the top two films I'm looking to see at TIFF this year. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'd really like to do on the show because um, it's got Song Kang-ho in it, and it's just it's a really good little film. Bong Joon-ho sounds like a improper use of, of words for a body part. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, it's like I was raped and he stuck it in my bong jung ho <laughs> <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I have had coffee so I'm I'm awake <laughs> I have not I'm just trying to sip the oh. nectar of the gods so I'm a little behind you nice alright uh, so the next one is from uh, Jeff and Jeff uh, says gentlemen I just wanted to write you and shed some light on the mentioning of Lat- Latvia and Victor Von Doom discussion on the uh, most recent show where you guys talked about Sunny Chiba and Gogo 13 Kowloon assignment. Latvia is indeed a real country located in the Baltic region of northern Europe. It is bordered to the north by Estonia, to the south by Lithuania, and to the east by the Russian Federation, and to the southeast by Belarus. Keep up the great show, as I've been listening since the days of you guys chattering via Cinema Diabolica. Wow. It's been a while ago, so cheers. Uh, thanks, thanks, Jeff. Uh, we appreciate that. And, and I had no idea Latvia actually existed. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I didn't. And if someone writes in and tells us Genosha is real, too, we're going to have a lot of egg on our faces between the both of us. Yes, I might have to move there. <laughs> I'm going to yes. move to Latvia and uh, wear an iron suit. In the Balkan regions and sort of shake our fists at the heavens a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. And always yell, Richards! yeah (laughs) even when nobody's around people think i'm crazy no but thanks for writing in jeff we appreciate that and yes i am going to look into more research of latvia it must be a very small country actually that must be why marvel must have chose it 
yeah, and isn't the puppet master well, from? It kind of reminds me. I don't know if you've ever seen. I don't. I don't know. I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but it kind of reminds me of something that I just thought of. I remember in that movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it called Wag the Dog. It's a Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro. It's a David Mamet movie, or well, David Mamet written movie. Barry Levinson directed. They pick a country that like America don't know anything about as the enemy to you know kind of take away from the president you know having sex or whatever, and. <laughs> Uh, that kind of reminds me, it might be what Marvel did. They're like, okay, well, we need to pick an Eastern European country that won't piss anybody in the, over there off because they don't have any actual power. <laughs> That's funny. That might be what they did. I'm sorry I cut you off there. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> the Puppet Master, I can't remember if he was DC or Marvel now. Uh, was he? I think he was from the Balkans as well. Uh, yeah, how come I can't remember if he was? I think he might have been Marvel. I, I think I'm mixing up with Mr. Mixtelplick or whatever the fuck that name was. Yeah, Mixtelplick, that is definitely DC. Yeah, but uh, you know, I think there is a puppet master. I don't know any, any listeners out there, big comic book fans, uh, evidently bigger than me because I can't remember. <laughs> and let us know where the puppet master is from. I seem to remember the Balkans for some reason, so I don't know why there wasn't a Doom puppet master team up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where are we here? So you just read Jeff's email, correct? yes, yes. Okay, so now we get into an email from Fabian, uh, and Fabian writes, "Zombie bastards." Dear gentlemen, still in love with your show. Thanks a lot for covering Let Sleeping Corpses Lie. It was my first crush on zombie films, and your review brought back fond memories. Speaking of more contemporary examples of the genre, I would definitely recommend the 2009 Norwegian Nazi zombie slasher film Dead Snow by Tommy Ricola. It's a slimy, gory, and great fun. Or it's slimy, gory, and great fun. This film is not available on DVD yet, but there's a good amount uh, of ways to get a hold of it. For further information, check out Mail Order of Zombies episode 73 and watch the trailer, which even contains some footage of Kampfun Norwegian, the Battle of Norway on nice. YouTube. Nice. Uh, an extraordinary historical documentary, and don't blame me, a true Nazi propaganda gem. <laughs> Why do I mention all this? Because it would be a nice side dish to Tarantino's main course in Glorious Bastards. We're at a great homage to the Western genre and cinema in general. And I would even go a step further and say this might be the Nazi film to end all Nazi films. Best wishes from Switzerland, Fabian. Nice. So he's saying this uh, Battle of Norway, which I've never seen. Kamp um Nor- Norwegian. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's me doing uh, really bad uh, German. <laughs> uh, sort of similar to the acting of the actor that played Hitler in the film. No, no, he, he did okay. I, I don't even know who that was, by the way. I looked into him. I don't think he's done a whole lot. He's done a handful of German films, I think. Nice. All right. Uh, yeah. So he goes over a couple things. I, he's talking about Dead Snow, which I, I ha- I've uh, had a, a screener of for a while, but I just haven't watched. And uh, every time I hear the name of the director, Tommy Vercola, it reminds me of that uh, those cough drops called Ricolas. You ever heard of those? Ricola. Okay, make sure that wasn't just an American thing. Oh, that's a Swiss thing, baby. <laughs> that's what it reminded me of. And of course, you know, he's saying best wishes from Switzerland, so I'm sure he might have heard of it too. Or else, maybe that's just Americans making fun of Switzerland, and we don't know it, and now we look like asses. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to look into this Battle of Norway. Uh, Nazi propaganda films are actually pretty interesting, if you watch them, because some of them are actually well-made films. It's... Uh, I know it sounds hard to say and maybe for some hard to swallow, but there actually was a uh, film industry uh, during the war and during a lot of those times that made propaganda films, and some of them are actually well-made. So, Very interesting little subgenre of uh, cinema history. 
to say the least. <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually seen any Nazi propaganda films, but I can imagine uh, it would be interesting in this. They're interesting. I don't know if they're great films, not just because of the subject matter, but I don't know if they're great films just because they're propaganda films. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt. You kind of have to look at it like... You have to yeah. take everything with the whole fucking shaker when you're watching propaganda films. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You kind of have to watch it with the uh, you know knowledge that you know most of the shit you're watching is probably not true, but you got to kind of look at it like, okay, let's just look at the craft of filmmaking here as opposed to the actual content we're seeing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And to look at sort of an antiquated view in an... In a snapshot of a country at a time, and you know things were decidedly different. Right, right, All right. So thanks for the write-in there, Fabian. We appreciate yes. that. I think it's the first time we've ever heard from him too. Uh, but I don't know if it is. I, I remember seeing Fabian's name around because I have a friend named Fabian, uh, and not the singer, of course. Um, uh, don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember, but I thought I'd heard from him. Maybe we didn't. I don't know. Um, the next one is from dear friend Quint. You want to read it? Or you want me to read it? Um, did I just read? Yeah, you did just read. <laughs> See, the coffee hasn't kicked in yet. Yes, the coffee hasn't uh, kicked in yet. <laughs> by all means, read from Mr. Manchester. I will uh, sip. Well, check out this email from this bank. Hopefully yes. that's, uh, you know, I heard that was what they call him, but hopefully that's not a slang term. <laughs> Either way, uh, he says, howdy, gentlemen. I've not been in touch for a while, so I thought I was, it was about time I stopped Twittering and flick charting and send an email. At the moment, I'm going through your back catalog and watching the movies you have covered that I haven't seen. So recently, I have watched Stone Cold, Stabilizer, and Roller Boogie. Wow. Uh, Stone Cold was fantastic and made me wish the buzz had made more action movies. Uh, Roller Boogie was fun, cheesy 70s goodness, and the Stabilizer blew my mind. The line, I'd kill you if you weren't so good in bed, had me rolling on the floor, and how can you go wrong with a film that has a motorbike riding up a desk 13 seconds into it? Indeed. Yes. I really need to see more 80s Indonesian action. The only other Indonesian film I've seen is Lady Terminator, which is pretty infamous, uh, which is, has to be seen to be believed and nearly as much fun. Thank you for covering Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, which is one of my favorite 70s Eastwood gems. A great buddy movie with a fantastic cast and much more fun than The Deer Hunter. <laughs> yes, to say the least. I'm off to finish watching One to Dead or Alive. Keep up the great podcast and your choices of movies is to cover is inspired. Tough tits and sweaty Italians. Fuck the world. <laughs> so, And he says, get stuffed. Uh, fair from Quint, so yeah, get stuffed. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I, the Boz did make more action movies. The problem is he didn't make any action movies that can compare to Stone Cold. Stone Cold's like his Citizen Kane. <laughs> yes, it certainly is. <laughs> That's the problem. He made a couple others, uh, which we might cover on the show at some point because I think he's uh, a lot of fun to watch. I think he's very charismatic and very good on screen. So we might watch some more stuff. But uh, yeah. Stone Cold is the one. If you're going to watch a one Boz movie your whole life, that's the one. Yes. No, without a doubt. And, yes, the stabilizer is a lot of fun. And I will agree that Thunderbolt and Lightfoot has a bit of a much more – it's a little bit more fun than The Deer Hunter, yes. But then again, a lot of films are a little bit more fun, quote-unquote, than The Deer Hunter. <laughs> this is true. And I think we're beginning to see because we came out of the closet and said, you know what, Deer Hunter's good, but not quite as good as everyone makes it out to be. We're seeing that a lot more and. Deer Hunter is one of those movies that everyone almost feels like they have to say, oh, yes, yes, The Deer Hunter is such a great film. And, yeah, it is a very good film, but let's not get ourselves just a little bit bloated and a little bit dull in spots. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Godfather movies, excluding the third one, of course, they're very lengthy, or Leone's films are very lengthy, but they're not dull, they're not bloated. They're epic. Yeah, I think that's what Jamino was trying to do. He's trying to make an epic, and he pulled it off almost. 
He just uh, yeah, it was close. He fumbled a little bit. It was close, and I do want to say, Lady Terminator. Yes, we are going to review that at some point on the show. Um, it is awesome, and uh, actually, Miles and the Show Show Gang reviewed it on a Halloween spooktacular episode. You can probably find it on their back catalog, Quinn, if you want to check out their review of it. Yes, and uh, the trailer alone for you listeners out there definitely worth looking into. <laughs> oh, if you like the stabilizer, you will really like Lady Terminator. <laughs> yes. I will I will go on record as saying the greatest mullet in the history of cinema lies in the movie Lady Terminator. Possibly, yes. Those Indonesian action films are full of mullets. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, the next one, uh, next email. So thanks again for that, Quint. Um, the next email is from our very good friend, Sir Croc, who we hadn't heard from in a while. Yeah. And uh, Sir Croc writes, Big Willie and Samurai are inglorious bastards. <laughs> Hello, my beloved Samurai and Big Willie, Croc here. It's been a long time since the last time I wrote you an email, you know. A student's work is never done. But I always listen to the show whenever I can, and you're always my favorite podcasters. I'm sure you both have watched Inglorious Bastards right now, and I'm eager to hear what you think about the movie. It's very important to me. Uh, last week I traveled about 100 kilometers to Berlin with my girlfriend. I wanted to spend some good time there, and one of the goals was to watch Bastards in its original version. Because where I lived, it's all dubbed in German. This is the movie I've been waiting for for so long, and my expectations were so high, I was afraid I would be a little disappointed. But it turns out to be one of the most enjoyable experiences I've ever had in a theater. Reviewing the film here would only be a waste of time, because I know you and others would do a much better job. I'd rather share with you how the audience here in Germany reacted to the movie. We arrived on Wednesday and went straight to the cinema. I had to book two tickets for the 8 p.m. show on Thursday, the opening day for Bastards. Uh, but they're all sold out, so we bought tickets for the 11 p.m. show. The theater that night was packed full of people. People cheered, laughed, and sometimes there was just silence. Nobody moved a bit. Right after the last line, the audience gave a big clap. Walking out of the cinema, I heard some people talking. Christoph Waltz is just perfect as a Nazi. My girlfriend, who is also a QT fan, gave the movie an 8.5 out of 10 and said it surely will be higher when she sees it the second time. For me, having read the script two times and after watching the movie for the first time, I also thought that would be my score at the moment. If QT could make a movie like that, like in the script, it would be the best movie ever made. Having said that, I intended to watch it a second time ASAP. On Saturday night, after having dinner in a Korean restaurant, a very good one, my wife and her friend were a little bit tired, so we arrived to the hotel at 10, and I thought, well, why don't I use this chance to watch Bastards again? With the permission of my beautiful girlfriend, I went to the cinema alone to catch the 11 p.m. show, and once again, the theater was full of people. This time, I completely forgot about the script, and the film stands on its own. And oh boy, I loved every single second of it. Christoph Waltz as Hans Landa gave such an amazing performance. Anybody that disagrees with this is surely ignorant. I noticed for some scenes, the guy acted with only muscles in his face. There's a woman on the theater that laughed out loud every time Londa said or did something on screen. The cast are all perfect. Melanie Laurent and Brad Pitt both deserve huge acclaims, but I'm very impressed with Michael Fassbender. He's becoming more and more my favorite actor. This time, also a big, big clap from everybody in the cinema, and both times they stayed for the end credits. The problem I have with Bastards, if that's a problem at all, is I wish there could have been more scenes with Shoshana and her lover Marcel. I could easily have had ten more minutes of them and seen their relationship develop. It was a huge part in the script. Uh, chapter 3, the segment with Maggie Chung that was cut off. There was also a very funny scene with Eli Roth and the other guy talking Italian during the screening of Nation's Pride, but it was not in the theatrical version. 
might sound crazy, but both the times I watched it in the theater, the film did not seem like a long movie. Thing moves, things move fast and always absorbing. For those who complained that the bastards were much too talky, I just want to say these are the same people that called Jackie Brown a masterpiece today. And Jackie Brown is talky all over the map. Those critics, critics who have a problem with the soundtrack that, according to them, took them out of the film because it resembles other films, I'd say the audience doesn't care. We don't sit in the theater trying to catch the shot from movie A or that cue from soundtrack B, and sometimes we don't even know where it's from. It's just the image and the sound fit perfectly and beautifully. Right now, Bastards is my second QT film, uh, right after Pulp Fiction, just because Pulp Fiction was the first QT film I saw, and it was so new and visceral at the time, I would give it a 9.75 out of 10. If I can catch four films this year that are better than Bastards, this would be an awesome year for cinema. Hope to hear from you guys' comment on this latest QT adventure. P.S. Big Willie. I watched the Vietnamese film The Rebel in Vietnam already. It was a good 7 out of 10 movie. It was a good effort with some extraordinary fight sequences, but the script was rather poor. Johnny Gwen could not act, but Veronica Go was pretty good. Interesting on the DVD commentary, Bay Logan compared her to Audrey Hepburn of Vietnam that can kick ass. No, there are at least five to six young Vietnamese actresses that are better than Veronica. Uh, the best thing this movie did was to be able to catch international attention to Vietnamese cinema, which is still young and chaotic. On the last email, I wrote, With <laughs> Kill Bill, QT wanted to give the audience shit they can believe. Let's hope with bastards he'll add some fart to that. <laughs> <laughs> and by fart, I meant I mean fart, not heart. And yes, he did. I can still smell the movie in my nose and the taste of it in my mouth. Love your show more than ever. Keep up the great work. Adios. Yes, he might have been a little too close for that fart then. If you can taste it in your mouth, you might want to get back off a little bit. You certainly do. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, that's a long email. I don't really have a lot to add to it other than uh, I would argue that uh, there's not one Tarantino movie yet that exists that isn't talky. <laughs> yes. I think that's his, uh, that's his thing. I mean, even his action-packed movies. I mean, we just reviewed Kill Bill 1 and 2. You go back and look at them, and uh, every time I watch them, I'm always amazed at how much dialogue is in, especially Part 1, because I remember Part 1 as being this real action-packed, uh, you know, mega action movie, but there's actually a ton of dialogue in it. So. I don't think uh, he'll ever make a movie that doesn't have a lot of dialogue. I just don't ever see that happening. <laughs> There's no, there shouldn't, he shouldn't. That's his strength. So yeah. to, to do so would be denying him. It's like biting off your nose despite your face. Yes. And we won't go over a whole lot about Inglorious because we actually, I think we are going to go do a bonus episode to uh, cover that. Uh, maybe do like a 20, 30 minute show at some well, point. Who- <laughs> Who are we kidding? <laughs> well, that, that's that's going to be the goal for the bonus show, 20 to 30 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> but yes, who are we kidding? The only thing that might keep us in that time frame is that we, we both actually saw the movie, and we didn't take notes because we were in the movie theater. And uh, not together, but, you know, Will saw it and then I saw it, and uh, it's kind of hard to take notes when you're in a movie theater. So the only thing that might save it from being an epic one-film one show would be that we don't have a lot of notes. But I'm sure... We'll start thinking of something. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to see it again a second time, as I mentioned in the opening of the show. So Nice. All right, so next one is from Dr. Zom, or a.k.a. Rumple Foreskin. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, he says, gents, they have uh, Welcome Home Soldier Boys with Joe Don Baker, Paul Coslow, and Alan Vint on YouTube in 10-Minute Parts. Haven't seen it since watching it on Fritz the Night Owls, late-night movies on WBNS Channel 10 from Columbus, Ohio, back in the 70s. Wow, what a memory this guy's got. It is a pretty good flick, actually, if you haven't seen it. Check it out. Uh, and then he gives us the length of part one. Uh, he says, don't worry about the podcast length as long as it's good content. Then we will be there. 
on the Longest Yard podcast, Samurai said he didn't know why people would be wearing jackets in Florida in the prison since it was so hot. Don't know if this is the case for the movie, but a lot of guys wear jackets in prison, even on the hottest days, because they tape magazines around their forearms and magazines on parts of their or phone books on their torso and whatever and back to act as armor in case somebody tries to stab them. Uh, the one dude wrote in the in, in on the uh, Stone Cold podcast that it was funny knowing guys who ride bikes today thinking they were a motorcycle gang that is like a mafia syndicate. He is totally wrong. Outlaw Mike, uh, motorcycle gangs, including the Hells Angels, the Outlaws, the Banditos, and others are like huge armies and organized crime syndicates a la the mafia. Big Willie should know about this since the Hells Angels and Rock Machine, as well as some others, are huge in Canada. And uh, his last, his sign-off is awesome. Keep your pecker hard and your powder dry. So... There we go. <laughs> Sounds like something from a biker. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, you know, I, I've never seen Welcome Home, Soldier Boys. Uh, it's a Joe Don Baker movie I've never seen, so maybe I'll uh, check that out in ten minute parts. Well, you could, but our friends at CDB also have it, and that's where I first saw it. Nice. And uh, I plan, I figure we'll plan on covering it at some point in the show. Um, but yeah, no, it's a good one, and yeah, there is a lot of biker. Well, it's calmed down a lot because the police have really brought the hammer down uh, because it was getting insane, especially in Montreal. So they brought Fred Williamson into Canada? They certainly did, cigars and all. <laughs> nice. Uh, he came because here you can smoke fine Cuban cigars. <laughs> yes. That was sort of in, in his contract. But uh, he, brought his must- he brought his mustache and his cigar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, of course, his tough tits to clean up the mess. But, uh, yeah, no, that's a great email from Dr. Zama. He's been quite a presence on the board, so... Uh, as of late, so this is awesome. I'm mm-hmm. glad to have him aboard. Yeah, we've got a, a lot of new listeners. Uh, we've picked up a lot of new listeners over the last couple of months, so we're hearing from a lot of them. Actually, you got some voicemail coming up, too, from some new people, so it's pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and our last one here is from Greg, and let, uh, it says, letter to GGTMC, a few things. Uh, hey, guys, Greg here, Gregory underscore Joseph on Twitter and the forums, writing in for the first time. I'm slowly making my way through the GGTMC archives, and I absolutely love the show. I have a few things to say, so feel free to read only what you want here. Once I start writing about movies, I find it hard to stop. Sammy, I'm surprised that you hated Observe and Report to the extent you did. I find it to be a truly black comedy with echoes of Lindsay Anderson and even Godard. I think it's a subtly layered film, which definitely juggles broad comedy with a self-reflexive examination of audience expectation and accountability. In this respect, I feel the film actually has much in common with Kaufman's adaptation and Jarmusch's Broken Flowers. I'm not a fan of Seth Rogen usually, but here he actually attempts to play a real character and not just himself, as he does in Apatow's films. Also, I appreciate it when any mainstream film features a character with a mental health condition, which is not simply a crude stereotype or lionized victim, but rather a real person. But of course, to each his own, and this is by no means an A-plus film. I had to chuckle when I heard you guys offhandedly mention Bronson Lee, Champion. I actually own a copy of this film, Warner Brothers Clamshell VHS. Nice. It's a very middle-of-the-road film. The Kung Fu is decent, but the guy playing Bronson Lee, Tadashi Yamashita, has neither the charisma of Bruce Lee nor the charismatic anti-charisma of Charles Bronson. Yes. That's awesome. The charismatic anti-charisma. That's awesome. (laughs) The film is funny. Most of the humor coming from the dialogue, a lot of which is clearly invented for the English dub. Yamashita is a skilled fighter, though, and also has bit parts in Gymkata, Sort of Heaven, and The Octagon, the Chuck film, of course. Finally, I must tell you guys about this film I recently discovered. It's called Sonny and Jed. Perhaps you've heard of it, but it seems pretty obscure. 
And as far as I can tell, it's not on DVD. The film is a Sergio Corbucci-directed Western from 1972, starring Tomas Milian and Susan George as a Bonnie and Clyde-esque couple, and Telly Savalas as the villain. Well, I wasn't able to find the film. I did find a bootleg of the amazing soundtrack by Ennio Morricone. When I first came across this trailer on YouTube, I thought, how is it that I've never heard of this? This might be a good project for Cinema Day Bazaar. Check out the trailer. You won't regret it. Here's the link. And he says, uh, this mo- the most insane part of this trailer is Million punching George in the- Susan George in the face, causing her to fall <laughs> off a wagon and down a steep hill. <laughs> Good old well, Million. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've written a novel, so I better stop now. Take care, gentlemen, and keep up the good work. Greg. Uh, yeah, the Sonny and Jed thing, that's actually a Corbucci film I've never seen. Uh, I'm aware of it. I've wanted to see it forever. I like Thomas Mil- uh, Thomas Million. I like him. He's a... Uh, He's kind of a uh, he's kind of one of the poor man actors from the spaghetti western ranks, but uh, he he's really good. He's, uh, he's an amazing he's a, actor. Yeah, he's a little full of himself in interviews and stuff. Very interesting guy. <laughs> I mean, he he definitely has not seen very many actors that are much better than him. So, uh, but that's okay. You know, he, he's he's got a great face, and he usually it seemed like he always played Mexicans or Indians in uh, in some spaghetti westerns, but because uh, he's got kind of a uh, uh, kind of an ethnic. Uh, face as well, uh, so it was easy for them to put some makeup on him and whatnot. But uh, he's actually in a film we are going to cover at some point: uh, the uh, Fulci Four of the Apocalypse Western. That's him and Testy, which is pretty interesting. Yes, so that'll be fun at some point. But yeah, if anybody, if Cinema Davis Art get a hold of Sonny and Jed, that would be awesome. Uh, I would definitely check it out. Uh, Telly Savalas is a bad guy. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, he was. He's he's always great as a bad guy. Like even the Dirty Dozen when he's bit of a vile man uh really good he's got that look that just lends itself well to villainy mm-hmm. i don't uh i still don't uh think i'm wrong about observing report i just don't think i'm wrong about it but uh again you know to each their own and i still have to see it so when i see it i'll be happy to observe and so report drop your two cents in or whatever they whatever uh, a penny is called in canada what is it called um <laughs> it's called a pancake a pancake uh, so you'll, you'll drop your two pancakes in Yes, precisely. So when oh there, there we go, our listeners, when Will sees Observing Report, he will drop his pancakes, which sounds like uh, you're going to drop your pants or something almost. It does. I, well, I may if I enjoyed it enough. Oh, well, there is some pants dropping in the movie. So uh, <laughs> let's get back on point. we got some uh, voicemail to play here. So I'll get those up and rolling. One sec. Let's see what we got here. Actually, I bet these are going to be played out of order, so I apologize. <laughs> as soon as they start playing, anyway. Hello, gents. This is Barb. I forgot to um, just call back to add that I had no way to figurines. Yeah. I don't know where we got them, but I had no way to figurines, and they were taking up spots in my shadow box, which is really lame. But uh, not the shadow box, but the noids. And um, also... California raisins. I don't know why they made figurines out of California <laughs> raisins, but I had all those too. And uh, thanks for singing uh, Goody Two Shoes. Much Adam Adamant love here. Nice. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> that was actually the second voicemail she sent. She sent one first, and I'm going to play them out of order, of course. So here comes the other one. <laughs> can, can you hear me? Oh my sorry? God. Yes, you I guys, can hear you. You have to do a review of Summer Party Massacre. All three of them. They're awesome. Oh, yeah. This is Barb. Um, 
I heard Summer Party Massacre mentioned, and I had to call in because I love Summer Party Massacre. Love it. Um, I saw Sorority House Massacre a long time ago, and I don't know. Uh, I didn't like it very much, but I guess I need to rewatch it because all I can remember from it was they showed clips of Slumber Party Massacre in it, and it pissed me off because <laughs> I was like, this is not Slumber Party Massacre. This is, they're, they're cheating. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently I need to rewatch it because I don't remember guns. I do remember showers, but I thought that was something else. I kind of remember, like, one of the girls helping the other girl out in the shower, but that could be something else completely. I don't know. I watched a lot of these movies. Um, <laughs> basically, if it had Massacre in the title, then I watched it. I did think it was funny that Summer Party Massacre, I believe all three of them have a pillow fight scene. Nice. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that is all. I just wanted you to cover Summer Party Massacre. It has the best line at least the first one has the best line ever. <clears throat> the second one has a dancing frozen chicken. But the first one had <laughs> the best line about the um, pizza guy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Watch those movies and cover them. And that's it. Toodles. All right. So, that was Barb. She called in twice, and uh, I played them out of order because I am a technically inefficient podcast producer. 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 There you go. <laughs> nice. Uh yeah, the Slumber Party Massacre films. Uh, we talked about doing those. We might do those. Oh yeah, and there is a great shower helping scene. Uh, <laughs> I love where... it. I love it when in movies when uh, grown women have to help each other shower. <laughs> oh, naturally. <laughs> that's or sponge bath. Yeah, or... that's not that's not aimed at males at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> because all women, all you women that listen to the show, you know that if your best friend. And I'm being pretty broad here, and you can call in and tell me if I'm wrong or not, but you know that your best friend has helped you get those hard-to-reach spots in the shower. <laughs> I kid, of course. I kid. Yes. But yeah, we'll look into that. Uh, that might be, like, like I said, that might be a Trillo GGTMC show. So, All right. Let me see if I can play these next two in order, because we had four people call in twice this week. So... I'm trying to play them in order so they don't sound silly. That one didn't sound as bad, but this, these other ones might. So I'll try to play them in order this time. Here we go. I think this one's from John. Hey, guys. This is John from West Virginia. Uh, just wanted to let you know I came across your uh, show, your podcast, the other night and uh, have been religiously listening to it uh, ever since. Um, I... Actually, on my days off, I work midnight shift, and um, while I'm playing my Xbox, I turn the sound down and listen to the podcast, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Uh, and I must say, I nearly uh, pissed my pants uh, with the Charles Bronson 10 to Midnight podcast because I vividly remember watching that movie on uh, TV uh, when I was much younger, and my sisters and I uh, being amazed at Warren running around with his cock hanging out and uh, the um, looked like a blow dryer with a pocket pussy on the end of it that nice. Charles Bronson was shaking around in his face. Also enjoyed the uh, Henry Silva um, cry of a prostitute. Uh, I definitely have that. Uh, told it to. To my friend, told my friends about it at work, and uh, one of them filmed it on 
Netflix, and we're going to get it so we can watch the uh, girl with her uh, pig stuck in the uh, her head stuck in the pig's carcass <laughs> as we kind of go that way. Since we're from West Virginia, nice. Uh, I knew you guys were shocked by that scene, but you know it's pretty typical around here. Nice. <laughs> um, a couple movies that I just wanted to recommend. Uh, used to watch on. Um, a lot of Shaw Brothers on uh, WBNS out of Columbus. Uh, they used to have Kung Fu Theater. But back then, they, there were some other movies that kind of stuck out in my mind. Uh, back then, you could actually see some pretty good shows, pretty good movies on TV. One of them was called Welcome Home Soldier Boys with Joe Don Baker, I'm guessing this is Dr. Paul Coslow, and Alan Vint, who was in Badlands that you recently talked about. The other one is called The Salamander with Franco Nero. And the last one that I just kind of wanted to recommend, didn't know if you guys have seen or not, is called Kid Blue with Dennis Hopper and Warren Oates. I know you mentioned Warren Oates quite a few times, and uh, that was one when Hopper was still kind of in his crazy phase, but uh, making actually making some pretty good movies, including um, uh, that uh, American Friend was a good one, too. But anyway, just love the show. I don't give a shit about the length. I like that it's long, you know. Uh, and, you know, size does matter, so who gives a shit? <laughs> Keep it up. Thanks. All right, he called back. We'll address some things in that one. Do you think, uh, is John Dr. Zom? <laughs> um, <laughs> because Dr. Uh, Zom mentioned Welcome Home Soldier Boys, and now John's mentioned Welcome Home Soldier Boys. <laughs> very possibly. Yeah, we've had a few mentions of it. Before I forget here, though, because you said you were going to address a few things, uh, John, do not get Cry of a Prostitute from Netflix. We've already had someone write in and say that it was heavily edited. If you want a copy of it, a good copy of it, uncut, get it from Cinema Day Bazaar. I'm not just saying that to hawk their product. It's been proven that the one that's available on Netflix is heavily edited. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get it over to you pretty quick from Cinema Day Bazaar. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be inexpensive either way. And, uh, yeah, trust me, you're going to want to see that version because I think – if you see the heavily edited version, I don't think you're going to enjoy it because part of the fun is the uh, the big massacre in the middle there. <laughs> yes, the band song. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of fun All in the middle. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff. Uh, I can guarantee you though this that uh, either way, edited or unedited, there's a lot of sweat from Mr. Silva in that film. Oh man, that's <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter if that shirt's cotton or what. It's just saturated but well, yeah in that one it's only he only wears a mustard colored shirt he wears it like all the time <laughs> yeah and it becomes uh, a considerably darker shade of mustard yes it turns into gray poupon yes it certainly does <laughs> all right. what else, he, he mentioned what else did he mention kid blue which i've never seen but sounds interesting popper and oats uh i think i have seen kid blue I'd have to I'd have to look at the plot synopsis and, and whatnot, but I think I have seen that because I think I've seen Hopper and, o- uh, and Oates in something before, and I don't think they did more than one thing, so I'd have to look into that. And some of the other stuff you mentioned that you know Shaw Brothers stuff. See, you mentioned that WBNF too, and that's the same thing that was mentioned by Doctor Zom's email. So I'm thinking it might be the same person. So I don't know, John. Correct us if we're wrong, and we don't want to make accusations. If not, you and Doctor Zom should definitely uh, be communicating with each other. <laughs> yes, because that's a. Uh, the, the Welcome Home Soldier Boys was mentioned twice. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. <laughs> All right. Next voice, man. I think this one's from John as well. He called back. Hey, guys. It's John from West Virginia again. I just wanted to add something. Uh, I know it was a while back that you reviewed Breakheart Pass, and I'm actually listening to your Longest Yard uh, uh, commentary right now, and you were talking about Ray Nitschke being in the uh, 
being in the longest yard. But uh, on the note, one thing that you didn't mention uh, as far as Breakheart Pass goes, uh, you did mention the cook that uh, and kind of laughed that it was, you know, this cook that could actually fight like, you know, crazy better than anybody else. Well, the cook, and you might already know this, was Archie Moore, who was the light heavyweight boxing champion, uh, you know, for years and years and years, and actually fought uh, Rocky Marciano as a heavyweight, and they called him the old mongoose. Um, also in that movie, um, you had Tessier's uh, big hillbilly uh, guy that was always with him was Doug Adkins from um, the Chicago Bears. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, played for the Chicago Bears, and also the porter on the train was uh, Joe Cap, who was number eleven for the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, took them to the Super Bowl against Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Engine Joe, he's been in a few movies too, but I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I noticed that you didn't mention that, and of course you only have a certain amount of time. But anyway, <laughs> uh, just wanted to add that and keep up the good work. All right, so Archie Moore, I, w- I knew, but I just didn't mention. But as uh, did I. I thought maybe we did mention it. I don't know I if we mentioned not. it or not. I think what we were mentioning about the uh, Archie Moore about the Cook character though was that he's this, you know, kind of quiet uh, Cook character, and then all of a sudden he can fight like crazy. It just seemed like kind of out of context. But the other two, actually, I did not pick up on Doug Ekins or uh, Joe Cap. I didn't pick up on those. Well, them being, and even if I had them being Vikings and Bears, respectively, I certainly wasn't going to give them any love yes. on my show, being a cheesehead. No, yes. But I, I didn't I didn't realize it, so thank you for pointing that out. Yes, yes, we do appreciate that. It seemed to be something that was pretty popular back in the uh, 70s and early 80s was uh, football players making, I mean, you know, football players are kind of man-made for uh, macho movies anyway, because they're huge people, and, and yeah, so they're kind of made for that anyhow, so it doesn't surprise me. Imagine Bronson going, hey, you know, to keep your mouth shut, I'll look at you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a football player, but I'm a badass. Yes, indeed. All right, we got another voicemail here. Let's go. A tin hut. <laughs> Sammy. Rick. <laughs> and Big Willie. Like three people. And all the great gentlemen <laughs> and gentlewomen of the land. This is Metal Mikey calling in, and I'm going to keep this super, super, duper, cooper brief, because, shit, I am so fucking far behind on your show, you know, I think one of you just needs to come over and kick me swiftly in the ass for not corresponding sooner or catching up faster. (laughs) Admittedly, my shame is the last episode I really got around to fully listening to was the Kill Bill and Cannonball episode. And you perked up my interest in enough to check out Cannonball Dunn Road. No, no, this call comes in the light of my placing extra emphasis upon the gentlemanly and gentlewomenly nation. If you haven't yet seen Inglorious Bastards, I'm begging you people, do so. I think his voicemail cuts off. If you are... A- yeah, there it goes. He called back. There it Metal is. Mikey again. Wow. <laughs> According to my phone, I didn't even get two minutes. So apparently your phone system really wants me to keep it brief. Anyways, yeah, just wanted to say again, everybody that loves Tarantino and who listens to your show, which, by the way, pretty much equates to the same thing, yeah, need to see Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> see it, see it, and see it. Maybe see it those three times. I'm actually planning on my second viewing sometime soon. Okay, really, I'm going to shut up now. 
I can tell when phone systems don't like me, but <laughs> I do still like Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I still do like Samurai. I still do like Big Willie. I still love y'all. Anyways, <laughs> take it easy, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Now, I believe Metal Mikey is going to have a show of his own that's uh, action film oriented, so uh, uh, there'll be that to look forward to. I think I think I've heard some promos on some other shows. Uh, I believe on First Time Caller especially. So, uh, yeah, Mikey, you can send that uh, promo my way too over at midnightcinema@gmail.com. We'll play it for you, buddy. Full show. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, he's just saying basically. You know, most people listen to us probably like Tarantino, so you might want to check out. Inglorious. <laughs> there is one notable exception to the rule, though. Yes. <laughs> and that is our good friend from Scotland, Wilson. Yes. Doesn't like it. Now, he's not, he might not be the only one. There might be more. We've got quite a few, uh, a bunch of listeners we don't ever hear from, so there might be more out there. True. But uh, he's the most vocal of the of the ones. Uh, but, you know, I, I admire Wilson's opinion. always have. Absolutely. It's no, it's no, it's very obvious that he... Uh, he knows his stuff, uh, and he has an opinion. As much as I may disagree with it, everyone certainly is entitled to their opinion. Yes, sir. All right, next voicemail. Here we go. Hey, guys, this is Phil from Syracuse. Oh, sweet Jesus. I'm up to the penitentiary trilogy, uh, and I am watching it in the background. You might be able to hear penitentiary 2. Wow. <laughs> Truly a laugh fest. Unbelievable. The uh, scene where he... Uh, oh, those guys wear those pantyhose. Oh, my God. That guy looks like some lop ears dog or something. I just cracked up. I just, this is a great movie. Wow. I'm glad you guys talked about it. Um, I saw your... Will, I saw your list on uh, the forums there about some of the movies you had the opportunity to go see. What a great list. Yeah, I hope you see like Mother. Sounds really good. I'd like to hear something about that. And, of course, Rack 2. Love that movie. That movie definitely needs a sequel. Um, well, the only other thing I could say for Rick, if uh, when you go to Toronto, um, this is from personal experience, last time I went, um, make sure your cell phone has international uh, calling, because uh, I don't know if you're going to be staying together or what have you, but even if you try to call, will uh, somewhere in the city, uh, it may or may not even work, because it'll basically try to uh, call back to uh, Kentucky and all the way back to Toronto. And uh, unless you have international calling, which I did not uh, when I went up to Toronto last, uh, it really messed things up. So, um, yeah, the tip's coming up real soon. I hope you have a great time. And I'm um, very happy for you, too. You finally got to meet Mano a mano. All right, guys. Uh, one of these days, I'll catch up to the current episode. I'm just uh, I've been listening to the, some of the other shows too. But uh, hey, have a great time. Bye-bye. All right, that was a good friend of the show, Phil. It's good to hear from you. I hadn't heard from him in a little while, so it was good to hear from him. Uh, yes, uh, I wouldn't worry about. I'm not worried about the phone too much, Phil, because uh, when I get off the plane, uh, the song uh, "Don't Cry Out Loud" will be playing when we run toward each other in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. That just came out of nowhere. <laughs> or if it was an 80s movie, it would be, oh, what was it? Uh, I'm not sure. It's a fire. What is it? Um, <laughs> I can't think of what it is. Well, I'll, I'll be wearing a beige one-piece bathing suit a la Bo Derek and Tin. Wicked with the braids, I hope. With the braids, yes. Even though my hair is less than less than a centimeter long, almost all over. <laughs> so, nice. So the braids will be, it'll be kind of tricky to pull that off. Be some pretty tight braids. Maybe I'll go cornrows, maybe, instead of braids. I don't know. 
might be better for your hair length. Yes, uh, yes, we are planning on having a good time and uh, hopefully meeting up with some other Canadian listeners. I know we know we're going to meet up with one for sure, and uh, from what we understand, a few others are going to be up there. So hopefully, we'll get to meet with uh, some more. It's always good to meet the people and put uh, faces and and actual physical people to the names and stuff we talk to. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if anyone listens to the show and wants to hook up for a beer or you know a coffee or something, well. We're there. Uh, or, by all uh, means, yeah. email us, call us. Uh, wanna, we'd love to meet up with you. You want to hook up for a donut or a pancake? Or, uh, <laughs> or some maple syrup. <laughs> yes. Or poutine. Oh, yes. I'll bring some fried parties. I'm actually going to smuggle some fried chicken <laughs> in my pants. So Nice. That chicken will be real greasy by the time I get there. What? I'll extra tasty crispy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it won't be crispy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Uh, yes, next, uh, oh yeah, and by the way, it's interesting that so many people are calling in and, and writing in stuff that are going back through the archives, and you know, I guess we picked up all these new listeners and stuff, and, uh, yeah, you can, you can hear every episode of The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, they're all available out there, so, uh, I'm guessing that a lot of people are going back and listening to it, pretty nice. It's very nice. All right, next voicemail. Gentlemen, it's Rupert, um, just, uh, just taking the new show, um, uh, Will, I love the uh, the, the wizard uh, rad double. That's inspired, inspired choice. <laughs> I need to uh, get my son on watching those. He has seen neither one. Um, although rad has been on the uh, on on the docket, the long list of films I'm always thinking about for him every week. So, um, but I gotta knock the wizard up to the top too. He will love that. Um, anyway, uh, regarding observe and report. Uh, and and uh, Sammy's dislike. I, you know what? I totally understand. It's definitely a divisive movie, and and Rogan's becoming a pretty divisive guy. I totally am with you as far as that. I'm starting to lose. I just I can't deal with oversaturation lately. I just have little talent for it, and it feels like you know he's obviously in that place. Um, I don't know what it was about the movie. It was like one of those movies where at points it's a strange thing. I. At points, I was like, I don't know if I like this movie at all. And then at other points, I was like, I really like this movie. And I, I, certainly the music had something to do with it. You mentioned the soundtrack, and the soundtrack is really good. Um, and it has some great musical moments. Um, I don't know. Uh, definitely one I will re-examine when it comes out and see how I feel about it. But at the time, I really did feel like, and right now I have to say, it's one of my favorites of the year. Um, that and Up trying to think uh district nine's pretty good too i'm just i'm trying to think of what else here i'm hearing people say inglorious is the shit so um i really got to see that before i start putting together a list of mo- favorite movies but anyway um i thought observer report was a, a, an interesting comedy somewhat comedy take on taxi driver which inherently is going to be not laugh out loud funny i think um but anyway, that's my two cents. Um, but I totally respect your opinion, uh, Sammy, and it's, uh, it's one I can't totally disagree with, you know, or even try to dissuade you. So I'm definitely not that upset, you know. But um, <laughs> okay. anyway, just would encourage listeners to see the film, <laughs> at least see it for themselves, um, and they may totally agree with you, in fact, more than they agree with me. But anyway, good stuff. Talk to you guys later. All right, he called back, but uh, we'll address some stuff he says in this one. Um, all right, Rup, uh, the Observe and Report stuff, yes. 
The film has a great soundtrack. As a matter of fact, I played a couple songs from the soundtrack on the last show. I didn't even closed out our show with a song from the soundtrack that uh, I was really surprised to hear. I hadn't heard in years, and it's a song I loved growing up uh, when I painted my masterpiece by the band. and uh, That's how they open the film and stuff. My problem with Observing Report is, oddly, that I don't think it's dark enough. I think, looking back at it now, I just don't think it's dark enough. I think the film's a little... I think it could have been much darker. Yeah, there's some dark stuff in it and stuff, and but and it's it's not as dark as I want it to be. Uh, and I think I just had too high hopes for it, honestly. Uh, again, I did think it looked fantastic because I posted the trailer so long ago thinking, wow, this could be good. Um, I'm a bit more sympathetic towards him and yes and his crew but then again uh, i don't think i don't think the acting in the film is what i don't like as much i don't like seth rogan uh that's no secret but again uh, people gotta remember i did like pineapple express i adored it actually quite liked it quite a bit and uh so i still will like him in the right context but uh i think it's the filmmaking i just don't think jody hill i just don't think he knew what uh how to put that piece together but uh, that's not to say he's not talented. I think he could be. But uh, that film's not not the one to show that to me. Did I lose you? Because it sounds like I lost you. No, I just turned down for some reason. I don't even know why. Because <laughs> you were uh, breathing heavy. Your your leather pants were getting tight. They were. Uh, you hear that sort of leather <laughs> crinkling sound. And... But yeah, I do encourage everybody to see it. I would never discourage anybody from uh, checking it out. Uh, I did discourage people from seeing Appaloosa. I hate to even discourage people from not seeing anything uh, because even bad movies for some people might be masterpieces. I mean, like we didn't like Cutthroat's Nine. I know that Hans, one of our good friends, he actually liked Cutthroat's Nine. He liked it quite a bit, a little bit, well, quite a bit more than we did anyway. So, I mean, you know, it's just my opinion. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, I just do a podcast. No big deal. I just like talking about movies. <laughs> That's all I want to talk about. But uh, Appaloosa is shit. All right, next. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can care. <laughs> next, here we go. It's Rupert again. Call back. Hey, that's Rupert one more time. Um, just wanted to just finish the uh, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot review and uh, wanted to chime in and agree with you guys uh, on how great a film it is. It's definitely one of the better, less talked about 70s films. And uh, Sammy, just <clears throat> to uh, go along with what you're saying, also, I do think it's Chimino's best film by, by quite a bit, in my opinion, but I'm just not a humongous Deer Hunter fan. I think it's a solid film, but not one that I need to revisit anytime soon, but Thunderbolt is just phenomenal stuff. Totally underrated. I'm so glad you guys covered it. I hope um, listeners will check it out if they haven't already seen it. But definitely one of those, you know, Jeff Bridges uh, '70s films. Like I think you guys mentioned Last American Hero and stuff like that. That um, just really reminds you like how great an actor he always has been. You know, in Eastwood, of course. What are you going to say? You know, but anyway, <laughs> great stuff. Uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. All right, that was Roop uh, talking about the good old Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Yes, uh, the shame of Thunderbolt and Lightfoot after doing the show is how many people actually are trying to go out there and check it out that haven't seen it or want to see it again, and that it's out of print. And uh, that's the real shame of it. That is a film. That features the people it does, it should not be out of print. I mean, listen, as much as we like some of these obscure films that we like and that we cover, we can understand why <laughs> they haven't been on DVD. But something like this certainly should be on DVD. Well, I mean, yeah, if you can get Cry of a Prostitute from Netflix, edited or not, and you can't get Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, come on. 
<laughs> I know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> kind of ridiculous. All right, so that is all of our feedback for this week. Um, you want to go over the blogs because there's a shit ton of them? <laughs> Oh, man, I'm not even in the right headspace. I think, I, I think Heaven's, Heaven's Trash, he wanted me to mention his blog. He's got a blog now, heavenstrash.blogspot.com, I think. And on the tale, coattails of that, there is pickleloaf.blogspot.com, which mm-hmm. is, of course, the Mighty Loaf's uh, blog. Uh, there's thisisquietcool.blogspot.com, which is dear friend Hans's blog. Uh, there is also... Um, Chuck Norris ate my baby. Blogspot.com, which is of course tied in, which is Matt Suzaka's blog, and that's of course tied in with Paracinema.net, which you are good. Hey, I don't, here. I don't know if I told you by the way that Matt Suzaka's moving from Mass and he's moving down to Ohio, so he's going to be less than three hundred miles from me now. Uh, I, I'd known that through Twitter, but I didn't know if it was confirmed. He was sort of mulling it over last I'd heard. Yes, uh, so he'll be less than three hundred miles. So I will have to put out an alert. <laughs> yes, for stalking. <laughs> oh certainly, man. Yeah, not him, not him stalking there. me, me stalking him. <laughs> oh yeah. No, absolutely, man. That's crazy. He's gonna be nice and close. That's uh you know, if there's anything cool going on in either city, I'm sure you guys could hook up and yep. and uh, tackle it naked, of course. Yes, that's uh, my thoughts exactly, <laughs> Large William. <laughs> uh featuring oh, lots yes. of canola oil and wrestling. Nice. Canola oil? Uh, why not? Yeah, that's could- edible. Yeah, that could cause a yeast infection, maybe. That could. Uh, <laughs> if I had an area that... Never mind. I don't know what yeah. we're talking about here. This is devolving. <laughs> um, there's Emily's blog, which is uh, deadlydollshouse.blogspot.com. Yes. There is... She was, uh, she was recently in the great state of Kentucky. She traveled down to Tennessee, and she was here. Did you did you see her or no 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 I was at work and uh, she was in Lexington which is about an hour from me but uh, I just gave her some recommended spots and stuff and she tried some uh, some of our famous bourbon and did some things like that and she had a good time nice um, I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anyone here naturally I am I'm sure oh of course oh check out again check out Moon in the Gutter for those of you that haven't it's a really good blog that's blogspot.com of course oh. LuchaZombie.blogspot.com, which is our good friend Aaron's blog. So yes, yes. I think that's everything for now. If it's not, I apologize, and I'll catch you on the flip side, yo. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Some Canadian soul for you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, so make sure to check out all the uh, friends of the show. Destroy the Brain, Destroy the Brain Online.com, Chinstroker versus Punter, Chinstroker versus Punter, Chinstroker versus Punter, Potomatic.com. I believe that's it, yes. Um, of course, Mondo and some of the other shows we listen to. Uh, make sure to check out all the Pop Syndicate shows, including our sister shows, uh, Outside of Cinema, Sister Cinema Diabolica, whenever and if they come back. Hopefully they will at some point. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, oh yeah, make sure you check out uh, Cinema Day Bazaar for all your hard-to-find genre needs. Good stuff there. Uh, you, you heard a review from one of the Cinema Day Bazaar films this week. Uh, also check out... Uh, well, I don't know what else to also check out. Oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, make sure to vote for us at Podcast Alley. Make sure to uh, uh, leave a review at iTunes. We are really bumbling here toward the back end. We were doing so great in the beginning, and now we're starting to bumble. Running out of gas in a big way. Uh, yeah, make sure to do those things, uh, whatever I just said. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to forget. I hate to mention it, but I don't want to let anybody forget about the uh, – <laughs> hate to mention it, but I don't want you to forget <laughs> – let me make sure I state that. <laughs> and we do have the donation button on the uh, website now, ggtmc.com, just in case anybody wants to donate a little bit our way. 
any little bit helps. So well, we do appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, you get some TIFF coverage, uh, uh, some interesting TIFF coverage. I don't think it'll be some of the stuff people want us to cover. Uh, I know that no people know we're hold going. Hold on, Sammy. Hold on. You hear, you hear the phone ringing. Large William has to answer a call. It could possibly be from his pimp, but we're not sure. Available right now. Uh, so, yeah, so now, you, now we're going to get to hear him talk about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> he came by your location yesterday. No one was there. Um, See, so he's. Yeah, she's actually tied up right now. Can I get her to call you back? He's okay, wonderful. I'll have her call you. He's talking about his alter ego. Uh, yeah, I apologize. Walletta. Thank you. The alter ego of Large William. Yes. I'm really sorry, my wife. We had a really rough night with the baby again, and the phone was ringing, so I wanted to hit it before the baby woke up. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> while you were doing that, I was having a little fun at your expense, so I might leave that in the show. Leave it in, by all means. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, that is uh, that is our program for this week. Oh, we do need to go over what we're going to cover next week, which I guarantee, have you picked out what you're going to cover next week? I, I certainly have, but I do want to say, did you tell everyone to check out uh, our brothers and sisters at pop syndicate yes all the pop syndicate shows yes i I believe i did outside the cinema it takes us it takes us 20 minutes to get through our thank yous it does at this point we're like elvis presley we know everybody yes (laughs) uh who what did you want to go first or do you want me to go first uh no you can go first i always i always make you go first put the pressure on (laughs) okay well that's fine uh i'm gonna actually throw a mighty curveball your way oh boy what are we in, 47 episodes now? Uh, yeah, well, this is episode 46, so yes, next week will be 47. We're 46 episodes. We've done 46 episodes. That's amazing. And we have not covered a film from one of my absolutely favorite filmmakers. He is considered a master filmmaker by some. By some, he's not so much. Uh, by you, not so You're much. You're talking we're about going- uh, Uwe Boll? Oh, he's a master, considered a master by all. <laughs> uh, we're going to be covering a film featuring John Saxon. Oh boy, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> Directed by the Italian maestro, Dario Argento. We're going to be covering Tenebrae. Oh, all right. We're going to go to Tenebrae. Nice. Throwing a curveball. I like it. Yeah. I was just reading about Tenebrae the other day, about uh, John Saxon. And I was reading something about John Saxon, and they mentioned Tenebrae. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'm, in- I'm interested. Let's do it. I just thought about it last night. I was going to go with Who Can Kill a Child, which we're going to get to very soon. But I thought, you know what? Sammy and I haven't covered any Argento, and that's a crime. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go from our roadmap, but I'm gonna pick one that uh, is definitely different than Tenebrae. I'm gonna pick the Patrick Swayze classic Roadhouse. Wicked. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do some Roadhouse talking. We haven't talked any Roadhouse. We haven't done any Swayze, and uh, we're gonna have some fun. I actually wanted to do. I almost thought about doing it through the curb on do the post apocalyptic Swayze uh, Steel Dawn. I believe it's called. I got that one. Nice, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> You're a man after my own heart. Uh, but yes, we'll we'll do Roadhouse next week, so it'll be fun. Argento and Swayze—that should be an awesome show. <laughs> should be very, very cool. And just a reminder to the alternative meet Mr. Pickle Loaf, please uh, send us in your picks, and we'll get on those the week after. Yes. So I think that's it for the show. So I think with that, we'll say uh, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.
yourself. The thought 